Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How are you doing, wrestling fans? Welcome to another edition of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight Podcast. Today's show will cover highlights of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight radio show, which aired on 1240 AM WGBB in West Babylon, New York, covering the original episode of December 15th, 1991. Joining me, as always, my co-host, one of the foremost wrestling journalists from the 1990s, working for Stanley Weston's multitude of magazines from Pro Wrestling Illustrated to the PWI Top 500, later working for the WCW Magazine as executive editor and other publications of that era, Mr. Bob Smith. Bob, welcome to another episode. Thank you, John. How are you today, man? Just fine. Uh, you get you. You look like you're having a good time, even though people can't see you. You know, you're there wearing your Pro Wrestling Spotlight T-shirt. Thank you so much for that. It looks good on you, man. Well, I've got to be suave, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not uh, wearing any pro wrestling gear. But uh, also, I'd like to say hello to our producer, our editor, Alex Robertson. She's a senior writer for SlamWrestling.net. She's also a content producer. For the Elias Mako Show, I hope I'm saying that right, on CJAD 800 in Montreal, Alex Robertson. Alex, how you doing? I'm good. How are you, John? Uh, hanging in here in New York, uh, you know, for the holidays. And uh, it's hustle and bustle here as we get closer to Christmas. And uh, I tell you, the traffic is just incredible here. Bob, I mean, you, you're pretty familiar with Sunrise Highway here on Long Island, right? Absolutely. Uh, Northern State Parkway, you name it. You you can't get here from here. No. And because people are now, you know, not taking public transit as much, the Long Island Railroad, their, you know, their uh, ridership is down. I, I took a walk uh, yesterday at the Sunrise Mall, if you know the Sunrise Mall of Massapequa, New York. And, uh, and then I had to go visit my family in Babylon, which is literally about five minutes away. It took me 45 minutes on that, sub, on that Sunrise Highway to get from Massapequa to Babylon. And I never experienced that before in my life. I, it, it was crazy. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's nuts. It, it's pretty rough. I live in Queens now, and I'm, I, commute, I commute into Long Island each day. And my commute in to the, the Glencove area, if it's a good morning, it's about 22 minutes. No problem. Going home at night, hour and a half, two hours. Same roads. 
It's, it's insane, just, I, I think what's going on is with the pandemic, a lot of people don't want to take public transportation yes, and everybody's taking to the roads. And I think that's a big you know, factor in why traffic is so bad. Yeah. And, it, you know, the mall, because it was too cold to walk outside and, you know, in Tennessee, I walk every day. But uh, my nephew suggested the Sunrise Mall because it's two levels. It's really big. I go in there. It's like a ghost town in the mall. I mean, this is like four o'clock in the afternoon and it's a ghost town. There's like hardly anyone in this mall. And so that was kind of weird for me. So anyway, we're in a weird time still. You know, and Alex, yes, I'm sure in sure Canada, I mean, what's going on? What's up there? Well, how's the traffic? How the stores? Well, it's Christmas, you know, I mean, as for the, the roads, I mean, Montreal is known as the sea of orange cones because there's constantly construction here. Mm -hmm. uh, and the whole reason why I moved out a year ago was to be closer to my job. And I'm still flabbergasted every time I get into the subway and it takes me maybe 15 minutes to get to work. So. Yeah. It's not so bad for me, but the roads are horrendous. Um, as for the malls, I mean, it's really weird because the labor shortage has really struck Canada badly. So when you go into stores, you notice that there's a lot of shelves empty. There's not as much staff. So as we inch closer to Christmas, it's going to become part of a problem. I'm just trying to stay away from all of that. You know, yeah. that combined with the fact that we're still in a pandemic and we're not really sure what's going to be going on in the next month. So... I'm going to I'm going to stay away from that. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite problematic everywhere you go. And this, of course, it's not just a U.S. problem or even a Canada problem. It's an international problem. And uh, I just hope that 2022 uh, brings a resolution to this and we can finally try to get back to normal. It's crazy. But anyway, um, you know, we're going to be bringing Don Liable uh, in in just a couple of minutes uh, who will join us shortly. For the Pro Wrestling Spotlight Time Capsule, going over the news of the week from December 15th, 1990. And I want to mention our Patreon account. It helps fund the production of the show. We invite you to become a member and relive the history of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight from 30 years ago. You get the archives of the show. All the original, uncut, unedited uh, shows are there. You'll also have access to each uh, new podcast several days before it's released. Uh, our patrons get the new podcast uh, every Sunday, and it's a full five days before the show's released to all the other podcast platforms, and you get it without commercials. Five bucks a month, you have access to both the archives and the podcast. There are other tiers if you want bonus audio. And I was just talking uh, to Bob and Don off air about a spectacular interview that I had from 1975. Uh, and this was with the IWA owner, Eddie Einhorn. They ran opposition against Vince McMahon and the WWF back then. And it really was a shoot TV interview that aired on Channel 9 here in New York. So patrons uh, have access to that right now if you go to patreon.com slash John Arezzi. So those other tiers include video clips, 8-millimeter clips, photo sets, uh, Zoom calls. We also mail out. Uh, vintage wrestling magazines for those in certain tiers from the 60s right through the 90s. There is a level for all budgets, so please go to patreon.com slash John Arezzi. You could be a member for just five bucks, or you could go all the way up to executive producer level, like our friend Jeremy Priest did, and he's enjoying all the benefits of that tier. Well, Bob, we're a smack dab in the middle of December right now, and it's an interesting time in the wrestling business as things begin to slow down a little bit. 
but there is a lot going on on the pro wrestling spotlight. Yes, there is. And uh, for you keeping score at home, this episode covers the pro wrestling spotlight episode 138 from December 15th, 1991. And it's obviously it's getting near Christmas and uh, the pro wrestling spotlight gifts to you on this show are a look at the new AWF Federation and its debut show in the New York metropolitan area. We're also going to hear from Steve Beverly from Matt Watch, which is announced by John as curtailing its operations, which is a pretty sad thing to have happened. That was a terrific newsletter for sure. Great newsletter. And John, at the beginning of the show, you were excited about the following show the next week, which we will hear from actor Jason Hervey and his then girlfriend, the, Hmm. shall I say, notorious Missy Hyatt. Yeah. And that show is going to be co-hosted by Cactus Jack, and he is in mint form on that one, if you recall. Oh, I do. I do remember uploading that recently. I just started cringing because of all the things that Missy and uh, Jason were saying about uh, just about everybody, but in particular, Eddie Gilbert. So it is kind of explosive and a little bit cringeworthy for me to listen to. And I felt really bad after their appearance there. It was supposed to be a very jovial Christmas time episode, but uh, everyone will hear it next week and uh, we'll get your opinions on it. But it is, uh, it's pretty nasty stuff from Missy. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll have some comments next week because I just went over the show myself and all I can say is, wow. And we'll, we'll get to that. You know, I'm usually not shocked, you know, literally shocked when I listen to these shows, I was a little bit shocked at that show. And I'll, yeah. I'll explain that next week because it's like, I just couldn't believe the tone of what was going on, to be honest with you. You know, it just didn't seem in the holiday spirit as it no, were. No, it didn't. It didn't. It was kind of scrooge if you that <laughs> scrooge itch. Well put. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this show of tonight is what I call a bread and butter show. All right. Uh, where your, your callers are really the, the focal point of the show. John, maybe you want to speak to that and how you made sure that the listeners had their say on each and every episode, no matter who the guests were. Yeah, I mean, it was an important part of the show. I mean, having the listeners, having the regular callers uh, there uh, each and every week, and sometimes uh, uh, we couldn't get to them uh, enough because of the guests that were on the show. And But this was one, as you call it, you call it a bread and butter episode that uh, gives the opportunity to the listeners to weigh in uh, even more. Yeah, and you had you had some great regular callers too. Uh, oh yeah, including a certain uh, under eighteen caller who used to get under your skin a lot, as we recall. Uh, George from Lindenhurst. I, that I think one? that's who. I think that's who it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're gonna have to find because uh, uh, you know I I uh, did timestamps on uh, uh, George from Lindenhurst calls uh, from the uh, from the uh, old days, uh, and uh, I'd love to do a special. Or you know some to- some sort of bonus even for patrons of uh, the best of George from Lindenhurst calls. But we had guys like Steve from West Hempstead and Pete from Eaton Town and Joel, of course, Joel Gertner from Brooklyn, and uh, so many others that were just indelible. I remember a guy that I used to just love, Joey from North Babylon, who sounded a little bit like Joe Pesci. Uh, but we had some really cool. Uh, cool regular listeners who really uh, stayed informed. And then the guy that used to annoy the shit out of me, a guy named Evan from Great Neck was uh, always, uh, always thinking he was a know-it-all. I knew another regular caller that annoyed you. Herb from New York city. Yeah. uh, Herb uh, uh, 
Mr. Electricity, I think he's talking about. <laughs> Mr. Abrams. Yeah. Oh, my, my. Okay, less, less said about him, the better. Um, so anyway, as always, our show begins in earnest with Don Leibel's news capsule, which we now call the Time Capsule. And Don, are you with us? Yes, I am, man. Ready to go back in time. Donnie. You guys can't see it, but Don has a really spiffy hat on tonight. Yeah, that's the uh, that's placement. the that's, that's the Mets colors. That's uh, the Mets colors pro wrestling spotlight cap. Mm-hmm. That's the limited edition orange and blue edition, and of course, it's been a great Christmas time for the New York Mets. Mm-hmm. We've been doing some big things, uh, stacking the team for next year. Yeah, and hopefully by the time people hear this one, we'll have a manager in place, and that uh, will be my personal favorite choice. I'm hoping uh, the former Toronto, uh, Canada Blue Jays manager John Gibbons and Alex, uh, are you a were you a Blue Jays fan at all? My dad tried to get me into the Expos when I was young, but I I was too young to really remember them. I think I was ten when they left. Yeah. Um. So I just you know I hear about it at work because of all the sports guys. Um, that's really where I get all my, my baseball knowledge from, if you will. But not a, not a Blue Jays. Uh, not, no, I think my dad would disown me if I liked anything. <laughs> so. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, John Gibbons, uh, former manager of the Blue Jays, my former roommate. And, uh, I'm, I'm, he, I'm praying that the Mets, uh, uh, by the time you hear this, I hopefully the Mets will have a manager. And if it's John, then it's, uh, then I could die happy. I mean, that could be, that could be it for me. <laughs> But is there a, one final question before we get to Don's capsule, Alex? Um, now, is there kind of this because you're in Montreal and Toronto is obviously a different part of Canada? Uh, there's only one baseball team there, however. Um, is it just kind of is there like a rivalry between Toronto and Montreal? Uh, if you're talking about sports teams, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. I uh, for sure between the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs. That, you big know, time. Big time. Um, I don't know so much about the Montreal Alouettes and the Toronto Argonauts, which are part of the CFL. I don't yeah. really know if there's a huge rivalry there. Um, I'm more of a hockey person, so I know more of the history between those two teams. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, you know, there's always been back and forth, even with little things, you know, whether it's like food or culture or nightlife, you know, People in both the cities go back and forth, and it's it's a rivalry about literally everything. So it's yeah. not just sports. Got it. Well, yeah, I mean, I know you're a big hockey, hockey enthusiast and an athlete yourself. And uh, uh, when's the last time you played hockey, Alex? I, it was before the pandemic, so it was sometime in 2019 when I was just playing recreationally. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, hopefully, uh, do you uh, do you you know look forward to getting back on the ice someday soon? For sure. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to, to join a, a team at some point. I, I don't know that I'll ever play competitively anymore. Um, but I know in terms of like other sports, I've always been interested in trying to play softball or baseball or whatever. So my boyfriend's trying to get me into that and seeing if we can join a co-ed team next year. So that will be kind of fun because it's very different. So, yeah. Well, just happy to have you here. And uh, thank you for that explanation about the Blue Jays and uh, you know, hey, what are you going to do? I'm just keeping my fingers crossed for that. And Donnie, I mean, you're you're like, how far are you from the Toronto Blue Jays uh, training facility? You're not that far. Uh, well, I'm I'm six miles from Pirate City uh, with a Pirates train. Uh, very close to Clearwater. 
uh, where the Phillies train, where the Yankees are in Tampa is close by. Mm-hmm. Um, Dunedin is where Toronto. Dun- yeah, it's called Dunedin. 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 But um, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure where that is. And it's near Tampa. But when you talk about Montreal and all, uh, there's so much talk down here of the baseball team splitting uh, seasons in uh, the first three months of the season in Tampa, the last three months of the season in Montreal, yeah. uh, which seems destined to fail. However, they, they just don't draw at all down here at all. Yeah, that's a sin because they're a great team. Bring baseball back to Montreal. That's all I have to say. Oh, I, I think it would be great. Yes, yes, we all agree. We all no, agree. seriously, it's been proven that they want baseball back there. There's no question about that. And they got to draw better than the Florida teams do. Why, why not just do it like tomorrow? Right, they should. I think the next expansion, you'll definitely see baseball go back to um, Montreal. And uh, yep. Nash- Nashville, Tennessee is, Nashville. you know, they already have an office set up there. Um, wow. They have, Yeah, they have a whole office with – uh, there's money, people involved, and former baseball players. I think Tony Larusa is part of the group. R.A. Dickey. R.A. Dickey. Yeah. So I mean, they want na- they want baseball in Nashville, and I think that's uh, going to happen. But anyway, uh, enough. We digress. Yeah. Our boat has sailed here. Yes. It is. It is a lot to go on, and of course, a news capsule uh, uh, and uh, from 30 years ago. So Bob, take it away. Well, uh, why don't we just get to the dulcet tones of Don Liable, who was on every single pro wrestling spotlight show. And here's his time capsule with a lot going on. Let's take you to that right now. Let's get on the phone with Donnie Liable right now. Donnie, are you there? Yes, I am, John, and I'll tell you something. Just, uh, I'm not sure what the weather is down there by you, but (laughs) but with the wind chill factor, it's minus 15 up here. Well, I'm glad you're up there. So, yeah, I just thought I'd want to comfort you on it. Hey, glad to hear the AWF uh, uh, got started yesterday, and I'm sure uh, tomorrow night uh, uh, they'll do well, and it's good to hear that Norman's uh, going to be there. Uh, you know, if you get Norman on the telephone today, I'm sure a lot of the listeners uh, would be interested to hear about uh, his escapades recently in Germany. Uh, he was there, I believe, for a little more than a month, and uh, get to see what the wrestling is like over there as compared to how it's presented here in the States. Well, Norman is on his way to Massachusetts now with the uh, rest of the half of the caravan. Anyhow, there's another caravan going up there later today from uh, LaGuardia Airport. Uh, they want everybody up there for TV, uh, for interviews, I would guess, uh, by noon tomorrow. But they feel if any, everyone goes up to Boston tonight, they'll have an appropriate amount of rest for tomorrow's uh, big day, I would guess they say. And I hear uh, they have a special ring announcer for tomorrow night. Who's that? Uh, Mr. Rezzi. I'm not doing any ring announcing. I see. That's how the rumor mill gets started there. At least I hope I'm not doing ring announcing. You know something I, I don't know? Uh, moving right along, uh, I'll tell you something. One fella to look for on the show tomorrow, uh, and I know I could really be sticking my neck out on this. We talk so much about uh, Juice and Leiser and, and some, some other light heavyweights and how good they are. There's a fella that will be on the car tomorrow named Bill Wilcox who... You have to see him to believe. He's been wrestling a year and a half. Uh, he does uh, uh, Frankenstein is off the top rope. I mean, this guy has no uh, respect for any kind of, uh, of his body at all. He's incredible. And I, I think when you see him tomorrow night, I'm sure next week you'll have uh, a lot to talk about him. Bill Wilcox is his name, Don? Bill Wilcox. Looking forward to seeing him. Lots of things happening in pro wrestling this week. A lot's going on, John. And uh, WWF just getting back from Japan. Um uh, 
interesting show they did last a uh, couple nights ago there at the Tokyo Dome. A lot of controversy in that one. You know, speaking of Japan, too, I noticed on the lineup for January 4th with WCW going there, Dusty Rhodes will be getting back in the ring as well. If you will. Yes. So with that, uh, as uh, going into our capsule, uh, we'll start off with a shocker. Uh, while participating in All Japan's annual tag team tournament, the Dynamite Kid announced his retirement from the sport of wrestling due to increasing injuries. Now, the Observer is reporting that the 33-year-old Manchester, England native has been dealing with neck, shoulder, and knee problems, but that a back injury sustained five years ago while with the World Wrestling Federation continues to be both his and doctor's concern. Now, to avoid any permanent or possible crippling problems, the kid is bowing out gracefully. A main eventer for the past few years, uh, mainly throughout his career, with All Japan, the former Stampede Promotions in Calgary, Canada, the kid's ring work in the World Wrestling Federation while partnering with Davy Boy Smith as the British Bulldogs, as it brought him fame and made him a household name in North America throughout the mid-1980s. Uh, the kid and Smith are former WWF tag champions. And who says you can't fight City Hall? Probably the WWF. Well, in Northwest Canada, apparently a match between the Bushwhackers and the Beverly Brothers hit a sensitive nerve with a British Columbia gay activist. After leading a faggot chant by Luke and Butch... A what? Uh, a faggot chant by Butch and Luke... Uh, being directed towards Beverly, the Beverly's manager, uh, the genius Lanny Poffo, gay activist Ken Walker insisted upon an apology from the Federation, which he verbally received. But that apparently isn't the end of the situation. Reports have it that Vancouver City Hall is asking for a written apology for the Whackers' questionable behavior. And there's no more speculating. The Rockers, uh, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty have split up as a team. During the taping of the barbershop, host Brutus Beefcake inquired to what was wrong between them uh, relating to a tag match in which Jannetty was slugged by Michaels. Now, according to a report in this week's Observer, the situation unfolded as Marty turned his back to Sean, stating that if he wanted to quit as his partner, he just need walk away. Instead, Michaels remained in the position. After hugging Sean, Sucker kicked his partner of five years, throwing him through the set's window. As the Midnight Rockers, Michaels and Jannetty captured the AWA tag title in 1987 from the original Midnight Express. And finally, Ron Simmons is expected to participate in the December 29th Starcade uh, event. And here's an interesting result for you, trivia buffs. Fifth, uh, 13 years ago today, on December 15, 1978, on the AWA card, Lord Alfred Hayes, that's right, Lord Alfred Hayes from the WWF, pinned precious Paul Ellering cleanly in the ring, opening up the show for the AWA. Castle time, 12-18. Good heavens, is there a lot to chew on in that one? Oh, my goodness, yes. Wow. <laughs> so good to just bite into all that stuff. I'll tell you, the biggest story, though, really, is Dynamite Kid announcing his retirement. You know, he ended up passing away uh, 2018 when he was 60 on his 60th birthday, which is really strange. I, I think for me, the two most significant in-ring people that I, I would say, when looking over wrestling, for me, one was Luthez. And Dynamite Kid, when you saw the Dynamite Kid's matches uh, with Tiger Mask, it, it, it was amazing. You couldn't get enough of those tapes because you saw things in the ring that, you know, went zero to 60 where people here were working at about 20. Uh, he was a phenomenal worker, but you knew the way he abused his body that someday I was going to catch up with him. 
and you know he ended up going into the wheelchair and 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 uh having surgeries and whatnot uh, but that that was certainly a shocker and especially in japan but at least he got to to uh, work over there and um uh, a couple of other names that, that that came up then um when you mentioned asbury park uh, again, that's that's the kind of show I would have loved to have been at because there were people there that we don't normally see on the East Coast at the time. Um, but um, two people came to mind, Pistol Pez Watley. Earl, uh, Pez Watley, I saw him the, for the first time. He worked the IWA shows that Eddie Einhorn promoted in New Jersey mm-hmm. um, back in, in the mid-'70s. And, uh, you know, he had a legitimate high school background, championship wrestler, uh, college wrestling, he was a champion. Um, he wasn't always the most colorful guy, but man, you know, he, he respect, he demanded respect in the ring and, and, um, uh, he too uh, passed away a few years ago, much too young. But when you mentioned Norman, the lunatic, here's a, an interesting story, something that I'm not really proud of, but I look back and go, oh, what a dummy. Um, Norman, of course, we know, um, was trained by killer Kowalski and John, I think you remember, uh, it was in 1989. We were at the Boston Garden when the NWA came there. Yes. And uh, Norman was one of the few guys in the back that was very friendly with us and everything. And the following day, we went to uh, the Killers School outside of Boston. And uh, he's just a, a good guy, a really good guy. And when he signed with the NWA, he signed for $100,000. And and uh, his real name was Mike Shaw. And uh, Mike... He was pretty tight with the buck. He wanted to save his money from wrestling because he never he, he didn't think how long it could, how how long will this last? Well, when Ole Anderson took over uh, after Mike had signed his contract, uh, Ole had then had taken over, and he was seen as part of uh, Terry Funk's crew, so to speak, or Terry's friends. So Ole was trying to get rid of him. So he, so this is what Mike had told me. So. What Mike Shaw did, he wrote letters to the WCW, and he was basically saying in his letters to them that, hey, Norman Lunatic is our favorite wrestler. You you need to push him for a championship, blah, blah, blah. He wrote well, him He wrote him himself is what he you're saying. Wrote the, I may have told you this years ago, but he wrote the letters, but he did not at the time, like most of them, at the, they were living in Atlanta. And he did not want to have an Atlanta postmark. So Mike would send me the letters and then I would send them to WCW. I figured, okay, look, I'm helping out a guy, a friend. Well, devious <laughs> gone. So then I get a call one night from, mind you, I was getting my press passes from WCW because of. Uh, you know, wrestlers that I knew and what J.J. Dillon was taking care of me. As long as I fed J.J. Dillon uh, baseball autographs from the Yankees, <laughs> he gave me whatever I You're wanted. J.J.'s a huge, huge baseball fan. Uh, so everything was good, you know. Um, so I get a call one night from uh, Gary Juster. Mm-hmm. And Gary at the time was uh, one of the promoters for NWA, WCW. And, you know, of course, he by choice, uh, I should say by career, he was a lawyer first. And um, whenever I was at the NWA shows, Gary would ask me to take pictures and then send it to him. And also I had a very good relationship when they came to um, um, Albany for the New York knockouts when Terry Funk had that I quit match with Ric Flair and some other spot shows. So anyway, I was sending the letters. I get a phone call from Gary Jester. 
And immediately he put two and two together when he saw a Utica, New York postmark where these letters were coming from. And I go, oh, you know, you had, I'm sure we all had these moments in our life where we go, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> so he says, look, Don, we know it's you. We know it's you're the only person we know in Utica. He says, oh stop it. Stop it. Mike's a big boy. If he wants to talk to the booker, tell him to call the booker. And I wow. go, oh, geez, there goes my past. There goes my credibility. And so I called Mike and I said, Mike, listen, uh, the next show you go to, you're probably going to have some problems because Oli's going to want to talk to you. Gary's going to want to talk to you because they know these letters were coming from you. And uh, at the moment, I don't remember how, how it worked out, but they ended up, Mike ended up leaving there shortly after. Uh, he, he uh, I think it was sometime in 1990 or, or uh, maybe it was 91 or whatever, but Oh, it was an awful feeling because, you know, here you think you're helping somebody out mm -hmm. and then you're really being, and I hate to use that term, you're a mark and they catch you at it. You have no credibility. You've lost any kind of respect with these people. Uh, it was brutal. Did brutal. you get, uh, did you get barred then? Was that, uh, did they cooperate with you any further after that? Because uh, I, no, I don't remember. I did not get barred. Um, uh, not at all. Um I tell you, because all my, my passes would come from J.J. Dillon um, mm. or like when Eddie Gilbert was there, Eddie took care of me. Um, but uh, it's, it's pretty embarrassing. You, you learn from these things. You, you're younger, you're dumber. You were helping out a friend, and but that was kind of silly <laughs> on his part to even have a uh, a campaign. Like how many letters really could make an impact? I mean, if it's just coming from Utica. Or if he, or was he using other people around the country to do the same thing? You or? know what? He, he could have been. And, and you know, he hand wrote them. So yeah, my, the I remember hand my, <laughs> his handwriting was very bad. So um, <laughs> it, it was obvious, I'm oh, sure, God. at that point. But when you get that phone call, oh, yeah. man, you want to call yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you never exactly. know. I mean, you're, you're always on edge anyway. And um, Bob, I don't know if you had that experience at all, always being on edge backstage and saying the wrong thing or writing the wrong thing that was going to piss somebody off. And with my show, all the inside stuff I was covering, I mean, I got thrown out of the back by Ric Flair. And you always were like, all right, this is it for me. I'm not going to get back in. And because you always had to walk on eggshells, no matter what you did. And but you sending those letters, I mean, yeah, that's kind of just <laughs> a little extreme. The fact you got caught from it. But Bob, what about you? Did you ever have those situations where it's like, oh, shit, you know, something came out in a magazine and they're going to they're going to blame me? John, you and I have talked in private about my stance on my role in professional wrestling. Yeah. I was different. I wasn't there to make friends. I will, honest to God, I, I was there to observe what was going on from a production level, from a storyline level, from how I was going to cover it in the magazines. So I I would be cordial, of course, with everybody and shake hands and, and let everybody know who I was. And I developed friendships that way, you know, like we all do. Certain organically. People, organically. Yeah. But in terms of uh, ingratiating myself too hard, never did it. Wasn't interested. I, I was there to do a job. And uh, that's the way I handled things. And that way I avoided all that controversy. I, yeah. You know, I never let myself get too close to really anybody. Because you know what? I could see the politics. You could smell them. Mm -hmm. I, I was I was at the Black Scorpion pay-per-view, all right? There was so much politics floating around that backstage area back then. I decided right then and there, there's, there's no way I'm, I'm getting close to this scenario because everybody wasn't happy at that point. 
So yeah. it, it, you know what I'm saying? It, it's just I, I looked at it differently. I really didn't want to be the life of the party, you know? You don't, have, you don't have to worry about, like, not in your case, but maybe mine and Donnie's. I don't know. But, you know, you're talking to somebody backstage and you're palling around with someone and then you got to worry, uh, you know, are they in favor with the management and the booker? Or, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it's all exactly. of that nonsense that used to go on backstage at, uh, you know, at these uh, NWA, WCW shows and everywhere else you went to. I mean, UWF, I mean, and WWE, you couldn't even get back there anyway. So, uh, well, you know, John, here's my WWE story. Um, in fact, it was the time I, I was staying at your place. The next morning, you dropped me off at the hotel where by the Nassau Coliseum, and I was going to go up to the pay per view with Saturn uh, to SummerSlam. But at night, at Saturday night, they had the matches at Madison Square Garden. So here I am thinking, I'm going to get in the back, you know, the back. That was the big goal my whole life. And here I am. Uh, you know, 20 years later, and I finally get in the back. I go in to the garden. I'm with um, uh, Chavo Guerrero Jr., D. Malenko, Perry Saturn, and myself. And I get in the back, and then I get in the dressing room, inside the dressing room. Thinking, After all these years, it doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but to me, I made it. I finally made it. So all of a sudden, Earl Hebner comes in and says, oh, Vince doesn't want anybody in here. Vince didn't even know who I am. He doesn't even know right. I exist. So Myself and Johnny Valiant got thrown out of the dressing room. Here, Johnny, Johnny Valiant was a main eventer there. And, and Earl Hebner says to Johnny Valiant, you got to go. You got to go. He's pointing to me, pointing to Johnny. So I stood in the back looking out uh, through the curtain at the matches, you know, until we were ready to leave. And I'm thinking, they threw Johnny Valiant out as well. <laughs> but you're right. The politics. Yeah. Anytime I was always so paranoid around the shows because if you're talking to the wrong person that someone doesn't like or if you put something in a magazine that somebody doesn't like they hunt you down uh mm -hmm. it i look back now like oh my gosh you know it's just cr crazy at times yeah crazy business for sure and uh mm -hmm. you know not 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 to uh make light of it but uh during the news capsule from 30 years ago you mentioned uh, a word that you know you could get canceled for today yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, chant, and I'm not going to say the word. Gonna, yeah, mm -hmm. but that was a chant that the fans were, were were shouting. The WWF had a really bad habit of encouraging that kind of thing. There's no question yeah. about it. You go to the Adrian Adonis character change, mm -hmm. um, the thing with the Beverly's. They encouraged it. They did. They didn't turn a blind eye to it. It didn't happen generically. They prompted it, mm -hmm. and it was a real tactical mistake by wwf and sorry it's just a bad thing to do just a plain bad thing to do and that was before the attitude era yeah mm -hmm. yeah the long before the attitude era exactly long before then so i you know a demerit to wwf's brain trust back then because you create yeah. characters of that to get that kind of a reaction and you know what it's cheap heat you didn't need to go that far mm -hmm. please guys seriously yeah, and, I, was, John, I, I was I was looking at Alex when uh, we were the, that that report was being played, and she, and I shook my head and I looked at her, and she's like, "Oh, like, yeah." I mean, that was kind of crazy. That was crazy because today. I mean, I think I think because I'm so used to my radio jobs, like every time I hear somebody swear or I hear an off-colored word, I'm like, I jump. 
So yeah. I, when I heard that, I'm like, wait a second, are we in 2021 here? And then I have to tell myself. Actually, actually, we were, we're in 1991. That's right. Yeah. We're yeah, in 1991, exactly. right? So we all yes. get a pass. Yeah. <laughs> of course. John, you also mentioned on the AWF uh, being there was the dungeon master, Tony Rumble. Yes. Uh, and I got to tell you something. He was the funniest man I've ever come across in the wrestling business. He would, in the dressing room, would tell stories that the boys were just howling, laughing so much. He was the kind of guy, if you went to Boston, you looked up Tony and he'd take care of you. What mm -hmm. a funny, funny man. And for the longest time, he he was Angelo Savoldi's ICW main guy running yes. things there. Uh, what a, a, a good man, uh, passed away way too young, oh, but funny, funny, funny. You needed people like him. Yeah, Bob, go ahead. I know you knew Tony really well. My favorite moment on television. I was on TV about 15, 20 times during my magazine days. My favorite moment on TV ever was interviewing Tony Atlas and Tony Rumble and having them put me down for five minutes. It was the most fun I ever had. They ripped me a new one. It was great. Uh, Tony was in a feud with uh, Ivan Putski at that point, and they just called me every name in the book. And I knew it was a good interview because when, you know, the red light went off, we all fell over laughing. Mm -hmm. So it was mm -hmm. it was one of those better moments I ever had on TV. And Tony Tony needed Tony Rumble uh, should have been looked at by a major federation. I'm convinced. Yes, I agree. Even, with his, even with his accent, you, you know, you could get you could get around it. Besides. How many Boston wrestlers were there other than Kevin Sullivan? So you know, I, using the same character, he could have been a big coin. I, I will always believe that. He, um, When Boston had a combat zone, Tony worked in a combat zone. And uh, again, he could tell you stories about what went on there that just were funnier than anything. Um, anyway. The combat, I, the combat the zone. Do they still have the combat zone? No, no, that's gone, gone right? Because that was like they a two-block stretch of all these uh, X-rated theaters and yeah. and adult shops and all of that. I remember when I was in college. I mean, it, and it wasn't too far from the Boston Garden, I believe, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, interesting stuff. Well, yep. great news capsule, Don. I know uh, Bob. What else we got here? I well, know, you know, we, we can we stay can on this. Yeah, go ahead. We can stay on this theme because uh, now you guys take a look at the big AWF show that took place in Asbury Park that we started to talk about. Yep. And I'll tell you what, I was rooting for the AWF real hard. I really was. I saw that first TV show, which was on in the New York area. And again, I don't remember how long it lasted. It couldn't have been longer than a few weeks. And it was good. I mean, the show was slick. You, the, the TV screen lit up and there was Stan Lane and Lord Alfred Hayes. And all these other really big stars. And I'm like, what's going on here? And I, I knew what what was happening with the AWF. But it was just after telling me about it, because I think he was close with Gordon Scazzari, the promoter. And I didn't even know there was going to be a TV show on. And late one Sunday night, there it was. Hmm. I was impressed. I wonder where those tapes are, because I've never seen them on YouTube yeah, or anywhere yeah. else. And, and they were on either, and forgive my old man memory, but they were on either Channel 2 or Channel 4, which was either a CBS affiliate or an NBC affiliate. So they had a really good network. They weren't on like PIX or something. Like it was that. probably a brokered hour. And they yeah, probably paid it, for it, that was. Hour. it was. It was like one in the morning or midnight yeah. or something. You, you could buy your time. That's, but, how, that's how WCW did it with uh, Pro Wrestling New York. Yeah. And the show, the, the AWF show looked, and John, you went over this before. The yeah. show looks so good. It looked like a major promotion right from the word go. Yeah, just uh, you know, he, 
he uh, I, I was going to use a phrase. I'm not going to use it, but uh, he, he spent all his money, uh, you know, yeah. and then it didn't return. And that was the end of it. And it's unfortunate. And his demise is, his, uh, you know, his uh, passing at the age of 40 years old was also pretty tragic. Quite sad. But, you know, I was rooting for a third force to come in and, and become a legitimate yes. alternative because, you know, both in 1991, both uh, WCW and the WWE had their problems and mm-hmm. people were mad at one or the other at alternating times. And I thought it was the perfect time for a newcomer to swoop in and get some get some eyeballs. But uh, unfortunately, it was not to be. So I guess we'll go back now and take a listen to listen to the big names yes. on this AWF show that John and Don are about to tell you all about. Don, let's go over AWF last night, Asbury Park Convention Hall. Now, the building, first time I've been in it, it's a, a nice old building. It reminds you of Sunnyside Gardens in a way, you know. Uh, but uh, it was a very uh, small crowd to turn out. Uh, but uh, a lot of the action there, a lot of the wrestlers you don't normally see up here in this area. Now, Chris Candido was in the opening match, and a very talented youngster taking on Johnny Rotten. And uh, that was a double countout. Dutch Mantel was in against Mike Sharp. And I just want to say, last night, the Pro Wrestling Spotlight fans were out there in force. All of New Jersey Pro Wrestling Spotlight fans were there. I met many of the um, callers to this program, uh, some of the Jersey members of the Booster Club, uh, Charlie Gavinelli, uh, Pete from Eatontown. I met Charlie Cook from Asbury Park, a number of others uh, that were there in the first row. And uh, they were all uh, a contingent, it appeared, of uh, Iron Mike Sharp's fan club. Uh, Mike Sharp was against Dutch Mantel, and the entire first row of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight uh, listeners were there with, uh, you know how Iron Mike wears his armband on his arm? Mm -hmm. That black armband, and they were holding up uh, uh, posters for him. And uh, As a matter of fact, even got an Iron Mike Sharp foreign object from one of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight listeners out there. It was a... uh, tongue depressor and what did it say did i give that to you uh, dave sitting here with dave schwartz from uh, wbau joined us today as well and vinnie russo was there last night as well and uh it was a pretty wild scene but uh, mike sharp is uh certainly an entertaining guy to watch one of the best uh and uh let's see where that match took place i'm trying to figure out i guess uh, mantel won that one didn't he no actually did mike win i, I forgot already who won a match, Vinny? Mike Sharp won a match with a small package. That's right. Okay. Uh, third match of the night, Pistol Pez Watley was in there against a mad man, a mask, ma- a mask man, and Pez won that match. Uh, not a very exciting contest there. Uh, third match of the night, Kamala 2 was there, managed by the Creator, who is uh, Carmine Despierto from the Wrestling Eye magazine. They took on Billy Jack Haynes, and Billy Jack is in town uh, here for a few weeks, and he looked pretty good last night. I spoke to him before the matches, and he said he wants to get back into wrestling full-time. But Billy Jack certainly uh, uh, entertained the crowd last night and looked pretty good. Uh, other matches, uh, adorable Adrian Street was even there, Donnie, mm-hmm. and uh, with Miss Linder as well. They were both there, and uh, they defeated Cousin Luke. Uh, six-man tag team action, uh, Jeff Gaylord, Sonny Beach, and Junkyard Dog uh, took on Dirty White Boy uh, Tom Burton. Bob Orton and Barry Horowitz with manager Ronnie Gossett. So these guys were in from all over the place. And uh, uh, that match saw JYD pin uh, Dirty White Boy Burton uh, to win the match. Then Norman uh, took on Kamala in a match, the original Kamala. 
And uh, Billy Jack had to run into that match because Kamala too had run in to attack Norman. And uh, that was a disqualification. Norman was the winner in that contest. The most impressive guy of the night, I felt, was uh, TNT from Puerto Rico. I'd never seen this guy before. Uh, his martial arts uh, moves in the ring were, were phenomenal. He was very fluid and uh, very smooth the way he worked inside the ring. Uh, he teamed up with Hercules Ayala, and they defeated the team of Manny Fernandez and Gorilla Gambi. Hmm. You ever hear of that guy, Gorilla Gambi? Uh, no, but I'll tell you something. This sounds he's like... not even from Parts Unknown. I think he's Parts Unknown in Uganda. This sounds like a Joel Goodhart type show. Yeah, it certainly did. Uh, and the, the last match of the night, Al Perez was against Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Nikita Koloff was supposed to work that main event, uh, but he um, had ruptured his appendix, apparently. Uh, he did show up last night, and he uh, was in the ring with Orndorff, uh, threatening him, and uh, as Orndorff went to attack him, Al Perez, the opponent of Orndorff, attacked Orndorff from behind. And there was also a masked man there with Mr. Perez, and I'm trying to see if I got his name here, the Dungeon Master, which was Tony Rumble from the ICW under a mask. He looked he looked better with the hood on his head. Uh, <laughs> but that was, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that was a good match. It was a uh, very stiff match. Orndorff certainly looked great last night. You know, Orndorff's still one of those guys that has star quality. You know, he's got that charisma about him, and when he steps into the ring... You know, fans know that they're looking at a true superstar of the business. Now, he took a uh, he took Perez and threw him outside the ring, and uh, Perez landed on the table outside the ring, and he must have landed. He, he bounced off that table about two or three feet onto the floor, uh, but they both put on a great match, and uh, one of the match, uh, Orndorff won on disqualification. So it was a very, very good contest. Uh, there were some no-shows there. Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert was not there. Uh, he will, <coughs> excuse me. He will be in uh, Massachusetts tomorrow, but I understand there's just a mixed up with his plane tickets. Uh, he had worked for Petticino in Texas, and he was supposed to be flying to the uh, to the matches in Asbury Park from Texas, but he got a plane ticket from Atlanta. Some of the things like that do happen. Uh, also, the Sheik uh, and the original Sheik and Sabu was supposed to be there, and they were there, but they got there too late to get their EKG, so they couldn't work. But I understand they will be at the TV tomorrow night as well. How was uh, Bob Orton's match, John? I mean, how was Orton? Orton is a professional. You know, he's uh, he certainly entertains the crowd, and he gets the crowd riled up. Uh, I think Bob Orton is a true professional of the business. But for an independent show, for a first effort, even though there was uh, just a few hundred people there, uh, the AWF uh, came off on a, good, on a good note. You know, uh, Gordon is a young promoter, and uh, you got to uh, support his efforts. I, I think when they come back here January 24th to the uh, Pennsylvania Hotel, formerly the Penta, now the Ramada, I believe, but it's formerly the Pennsylvania, formerly the Penta, now the Ramada, across from Madison Square Garden, I think people should go out there and support it. Uh, because, uh, uh, you know, there wasn't too much tension in the back as far as in the dressing room area. Things were, you know, disorganized, and Eddie Gilbert was supposed to be booking, and uh, unfortunately he wasn't there. Sonny Beach did a great job of running the back. But I, I wish these people well, and uh, I wish Gordon well, uh, because uh, promotions certainly are needed. Uh, new promotions springing up certainly are needed, and uh, uh, hopefully this promotion will do well. You know, it gives uh, the fans uh, something uh, to get excited about, uh, 
uh, with wrestling because so many times you see the same faces over and over again. And a card like this, I think that's why Joel Goodhart's cards have caught on, and I think why this will, because you get people, as you said, that don't normally come in this area. And right. uh, it's, it's a wrestling fan's paradise to come out and see these people they've heard about, read about, uh, watched tapes of. And uh, I think that alone, forget what you may think of rating a match or the quality of something, just going out and seeing these people, uh, that's a real plus. You know, I've never seen uh, most, of, most of these guys uh, that came in from the Memphis area, not live, not watching them live. Uh, and this guy TNT from uh, from Puerto Rico was super, super. Um, you know, I just wish in this area, that arena last night, Asbury Park, it's an old arena, uh, but I wish there was an arena like that in this area. There isn't any. You I know? think you'll be pleased with the one in Lowell, Massachusetts. Uh, that also is a uh, very old place. It has a balcony, and it's ideal for shooting television, and I think uh, uh, you'll be pleased with what you mm -hmm. see there. But if I would have done anything uh, different... Uh, if I was running a, the promotion, I would have certainly uh, tried to uh, run, perhaps, uh, you know, at the, at the Hotel Pennsylvania first uh, to make sure you get a good enough crowd out there. Because in, in wintertime, Asbury Park, I understand it's dead in the summer as well out in Asbury Park. That's what some of uh, the listeners to this program was telling me last night. But uh, I just wish in this area there was a place like that to run cards because uh, uh, there is no places to run cards in this area. There are none. And the high schools don't really want to deal with pro wrestling promoters because they've been stiff so many times. So that's unfortunate. But uh, hopefully AWF next month in, uh, in Asbury, not Asbury Park, but at the Pennsylvania Hotel will do well and we'll have a lineup for everybody out there next week. All right, Donnie. All right, John. Thanks for the update on the AWF. Uh, have a good time up in Massachusetts and uh, hopefully we'll get a good tape there. What a buffet of flavors at the AWF card. A little bit, little bit of everything for everyone. You know, that Al Perez, interesting that he was there. I remember him with uh, uh, working in Dallas for the Von Erichs. Uh, Al Perez always looked good. Uh, he worked well. Um, that's somebody, like when you talk about had a match with Paul Orndorff, that to me would have been, uh, you know, a main event perhaps in Dallas and or elsewhere it was a match that people would be interested in. So, um they had some really decent names there, Billy Jack and and uh, so many from so many Adrian different territories Street too. I, I mean, you know, uh, it's just a, a uh, it's like a buffet of different names that we normally wouldn't have seen in the New York area. So yeah, a lot of these guys were personal favorites of Gordon's, uh, and he wanted to bring them in because he he were fans of all of them. And you know, when you wave some money in front of some of these guys, no matter where they're from, uh, they come and. Uh, the one thing I mentioned on that report that I really wish Gordon had done at the time as is run at the Penta Hotel that first time instead of going all the way out to Asbury Park. I, I, I you know, unf you know, I'll debate that because I'll bet the rent at the Penta was more expensive than Asbury Park was. Probably. Yes, exactly. That's a good point, Bob. You know, because New York City is New York City. Everything is yeah. double, triple there. And, yeah. you know, so maybe, maybe they looked at Jersey as an alternative because the mm -hmm. rents were so high. But who knows? Yeah, I got to I got to I don't remember. I mean, like the next night in Massachusetts, I don't think uh, Gilbert was there. I'm not really sure. Donnie, was Gilbert there the next I night? I don't believe I mean, he was. No, there was like this big controversy where Gordon was going to send some people after him because he didn't show mm -hmm. up. I mean, it was. What? Uh, so much drama. Yes. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Eddie was supposed to be the booker. He didn't show the first night. I guess he didn't show the second night. And and then the and scuttlebutt was paid was already. <laughs> and he was paid already. Mm -hmm. And then Gordon 
was kind of like, I'm going to send some people to get him. And I, he might have even, he might have even attempted that. I'm not, uh, yeah. you know, well, we, uh, as we know, Eddie had his problems then. And, yeah, uh, he did. He did. And, uh, and as a rookie promoter, you learn, you never prepay the boys at all. It's just yeah. don't do that. Yeah. But the most bizarre thing was Dr. Mike Leno, who was there in Massachusetts and, oh my gosh, and he, uh, and he managed, <laughs> he actually managed uh, Sabu and the Sheik, the original Sheik. He had a turban uh, on his head and was saying all uh, the uh, <laughs> and and the funniest thing is like after the match, like the next match or the match after that, here comes Dr. Mike Leno back out now taking pictures at ringside. That yeah. was totally bizarre. Uh-huh. You know, everything about Dr. Mike Leno is bizarre. Going back to nineteen uh, many years back, it's just yes. I mean you can tell better than anybody else, but uh yeah, I, just got, I actually uh uh, I just got an email, a couple emails from him uh, uh, last week, and he had said that uh, he had found some pictures that he had of uh, Mark Tendler from about 15 years ago that it was that he shot that he was going to send to me, and then I just sent him back an email. I said, Mike, He's been uh, dead. Mark Mark Tendler has been dead for 30 years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> and he says, "Oh, my mistake," and he said about 18 paragraphs of other stuff. So yes. Anyway, yes. always a adventure with Dr. Mike. And uh, I guess he's another one, I guess I can, can be uh, blamed for because I brought him <laughs> in to be vice president of Freddie Blassie's fan club back in the early seventies. So nah, no, nobody's blaming you for anything, John. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it's been an interesting ride for me, man. Uh, but anyway, the uh, AWF report was great. I mean, uh, you know, just so to go back all those years and, uh, unfortunately Gordon, uh, I don't know if he ran any tapes in January or not. I think maybe I, those were the only two. All I ever heard was, you know, I, I it, maybe the show lasted the shortest two weeks on television here. I, I think Gordon yeah. would have been smarter to, go the indie route in terms of finding the best local talent he could and, and highlight them and not spend so much money on so many names. I mean, you can't turn a profit. It's impossible. No, you can't. You can't. You know, you, you root for him, but, you know, you see those cardinal mistakes going on and, and your heart sinks because, you know, everything has promise in the beginning and it was a great idea and a fantastic production. I just wish it was had been more successful because, you know, my fingers were crossed at that point. I agree. Well, uh, that wraps up another time capsule for this week. And Donnie, I mean, uh, you getting ready for uh, Christmas holidays down there in Florida and uh, any big plans? No, uh, although I did have plans this morning to uh, buy my spring training tickets for the Mets playing the Pirates, but I'm putting a hold on that because we don't know when, if there will be a the work spring, stoppage spring yeah. training. Yeah. yeah. But the, yeah, no, I mean, Let's talk, let's talk offline in the next week or so because, uh, you know, I have four seats there at every one of the games. Uh, so, um, mm-hmm. and I know that once uh, Dominic and I get down there for spring training in March, uh, hopefully I think this lockout, I think this lockout will end before spring training. Mm-hmm. They, they, they can't not uh, proceed with the season. Uh, they have to settle their differences and get uh, baseball back and started when it's supposed to get started, especially after the $3 billion the owners just spent in the last few weeks. You know, it's weird though, living down here now six months from coming from an area where it was cold seven months a year and having well over a hundred inches of snow a year. Yeah. Now I'm I'm watching people out my window here playing golf. Uh, I'm on a, a development that I have a couple of golf courses 
I have my windows open, my doors open, and it's December 2nd. It's uh, currently 70 degrees. It's just, yeah. I can't comprehend that. It's just That's something crazy. to get used to. Well, anyway, Don, uh, we look forward to next week, and um, I appreciate your time as always, and we'll have another time capsule next week and look back at what happened 30 years ago, my friend. All righty, guys. Have a good show. All righty. Thanks, Don. Donnie Liable, everybody, and uh, he'll be back with us next week, of course, uh, as he is each and every week now, Bob. So that's a great uh, addition to what we do. A walking encyclopedia of classic wrestling. What more can I say? I know he, it. He really does. He, I, he, he knows more than I've he, – he, he's phenomenal in that regard. Every name, every day, he, I, I'm in awe of his acumen. I really yeah. am. And especially that he was gone for so many years, too. I mean, uh, it wasn't until, uh, you know, we started conversing. And we always conversed after all these years. But uh, I'm so happy that he's back uh, doing this with us. And we've gotten some really positive feedback since the last week's episode. And uh, people are happy to see him back. And, you know, Bob, you're getting a lot of phenomenal comments from people, too. People just love your smooth style and uh you know uh, people are saying great addition great addition and i couldn't agree more you and donnie you're really uh, hearing those things i i yeah I, well I, why would i say them well you know? i'm I, I appreciate that um look i i this is this opportunity here i take very seriously because i went to college at suny brockport to be a radio announcer i wanted to be on the radio and i would i never got to be on the radio you know, you. And all, I, was on, I was on TV a lot, but that yeah. was by accident, you know, yeah. because of the wrestling thing and then the music later on. But I wanted to be the guy who said it's 605 and here's the news, you know, that, that type of thing. And uh, now I just had to wait to be an old fart and here I am. So I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, well, my pleasure. And uh, just to, we have a great team, you and Don and Alex and Marsh, who does our visuals so yeah so oh, uh, yeah folks if you haven't seen youtube just type in john Rizzi or matt memories or anything to have to do with john on youtube and you will see the classiest looking clips segments you will ever see on youtube uh about wrestling illustrations along with photos along with beautiful graphics just top notch john they were, and i'm not blowing smoke at you they no, really he's doing look a great, great job i had a conversation with him today and he's just doing a phenomenal job uh marsh is his name and uh, he's worked with Sean Waltman for a long time and, um, you know, and, and uh, Nick Houseman. And so anyway, he's a really good person and I'm happy to have him on the team as well. But uh, let's continue on here with the show. And uh, yeah. there's a lot more to cover on this episode of Pro Wrestling Spotlight, which is going back to December 15th, 1991. Right. And John and I have known each other for a long time. And I'm always learning stuff about John. Well, first of all, through his book, first of all, uh, Matt Memories, which if you haven't read, you really need to. And uh, and uh, John, the content creator, is is something now that I'm becoming interested in because you take calls from fans, and they were such a big part of every show. Mm-hmm. Like I said, no matter who the, the, the giant names in wrestling were, your guests, but at the same time, you let the fans would call and speak to them on a regular basis. That became a very popular part of the show for an obvious reason. What was your thinking in terms of having such a fan presence? on the show at that point? The fans were a big part of the show. Uh, this was a new experience for them. There weren't uh, any outlets like this for them to call in and to speak to one of their favorite wrestlers or managers or promoters. 
And for me, uh, the fans were just as big as part of the show as um, the guests were a lot of times. And they developed their own little, you know, characters. There were regular callers. And it was always great. And I always use the uh, the phone lines as a gauge of what we were doing, if we're doing something right. And, of course, you'd get your crank calls occasionally. <laughs> but uh, uh, But it was kind of a way to hear what the fans were thinking, you know, and um, as the show grew and we're going to notice that as we're coming up to the move to WEVD where uh, the show gets pared down to an hour because of the cost requirements. And then, but the fans and the callers, uh, it it just, it it moves up a level uh, and um, very intelligent callers, uh, uh, not, like they weren't anyway, but uh, the diversity of callers as we go into WEVD era coming up soon uh, will will really blow a lot of people away. So uh, yeah, I, I loved I loved the calls, and and some of them used to be annoying, especially when I get the same uh, hear anything about the Ultimate Warrior. Oh God, yeah. what was during this entire period since I have been listening to these shows again? There are Ultimate Warrior questions on every doggone show, every show. Ultimate Warrior, this you had Buddy Rogers on. Hey, what's going on with the Ultimate Warrior? The caller would say it was manic. They couldn't get enough of the Ultimate Warrior, my mm-hmm. least favorite wrestler, my top five most hated wrestlers of all time, and yet people couldn't get enough of the guy. I, I'll never understand it. I know. And then there were the Black Scorpion callers each week, and people uh, going into the voice of the Black Scorpion. So anyway, they're all available. These shows at uh, uh, our Patreon account, which is Patreon.com/slash John Arizzi. Well, on this particular show, John, your phone lines were white hot because you were giving away WWF tickets at Madison Square Garden. As well as some glow videos, <laughs> glow the, videos, John. Really, yeah, glow, glow videos and WWF tickets. I know I didn't get those tickets myself. They didn't give me those tickets to give away, uh, but the radio station had a, a bunch of them, so uh, I was able to get some from uh, WBAB management uh, for the uh, GBB show, and and uh, that's how we got those tickets to give them away. So yeah, the phones were white hot. People white wanted hot. to go. Yeah. So let's uh, hear some of the white hot callers right now. Alan from Wanto, you're next. I have a question. Go ahead, Alan. One of the following wrestlers is going to come into the WWF. Okay. Chris Chavez? He's in. He's working house shows already. So when are we going to be able to see him on TV? You'll be seeing him on TV shortly. I guess from the uh, the Texas tapings, they're still airing the New Haven tapings. But once those Texas tapings air, uh, you'll probably see him. Oh, what's this guy like? I've never seen him before. He's pretty good. How about... When is Del Wilkes and Chris Walker Well, Del Wilkes is still a big question mark, okay, uh, because he's still negotiating with WCW, and WCW may have the inside track in bringing him in now full-time. Okay, you recently talked to my brother about becoming a sponsor. Yeah. And um, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to become a, a member of your, uh, one, one of your Booster club? clubs. Well, I certainly appreciate that is Alan from Wanton. Let me just. Uh, what uh, is your brother? The guy from the car dealership. Yeah, he's Well, tell him that uh, we'll sell a lot of cars from him if he advertises. If we do it, work out a deal, and uh, uh, yeah, please do that, Alan. And, uh, he, he asked me whether or not, because I'm a big wrestling fan, whether or not I knew about it, and I told him it's the best, uh, the best talk show about wrestling. Well, you can't ask for any better ref- uh, recommendation than that. I, I certainly appreciate you uh, going to bat for us on that. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you, Alan. Bye bye. Okay. 955-1240 is the number to call here at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Uh, tell you what, for that Ric Flair 
pair of tickets against Hulk Hogan. Name the first person uh, Flair beat for the his first NWA world title. Okay. Let's uh, take uh, Josh from Rockland. Hi, John. Got the answer? Uh, yeah, hold on one second. Uh, the answer uh, is... Uh, sorry, one second. Um, was it... Uh, uh, hold on one second. It was Harley Race. You got it. Uh, okay. Um, and I have a couple questions for you. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, do you think it's possible that Liger is going to beat Pillman for the uh, light heavyweight belt? Yes, I do. I think it's possible, and I hope it happens at the Meadowlands. I think I hope so too. Because they're going back there. Uh, you know, they're going to be interchanging some of the talent back and forth, and I think uh, it would really mean a lot for that light heavyweight uh, title if uh, Liger wins it. Add a lot of respect to the title, and uh, then they could start uh, promoting it the proper way here. Okay. Uh, if, uh, is the WCW having a pay-per-view in Japan next year? Uh, yes, they are. Gonna, it's not going to be a live pay-per-view, uh, but they will be uh, taping it for broadcast in March or April. Oh, the last one they had was very good. Stuff. Yes, it was. Um, another thing is, what, what other things besides, you know, like the crowning of the new champion in the WWF is going to happen at the Royal Rumble? Uh, well, as far as any other angle, I think the Jake the Snake Roberts and uh, Macho Man Savage situation will get even worse than it is now. Something uh, dramatic. Yeah, thanks okay, a lot. Put you on hold, and you got the seats, and uh, uh, we're going to take our next call to Scott from Hewlett. Scott? Yeah, how are you doing? Okay. Um, I was at the uh, National Coliseum card uh, Friday, and there wasn't that many people there. I understand there was a crowd of about 10,000 there. Yeah. Yeah, the whole, I was sitting in the uh, upper deck, the mezzanine, there was like nobody there. Well, you know, it's still a lot of people for wrestling in this day and age. Yeah. Really is. I understand uh, Sid Justice was announced as coming uh -huh. back next show. Yeah, January 17th, he's going to fight The Undertaker. Yeah. In a casket match. They should both uh, go into that casket and seal the lid on both of them. <laughs> but do, you, do you think uh, Sid Justice is be able to participate in the Royal Rumble? I think if he's going to be back on that particular show, I think that Sid will be in the Royal Rumble, yes. Uh -huh. And I also heard that the uh, PNW folded. Is that true? Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Yes, they did. Uh, uh, they're still, they didn't fold officially. They're, they lost their TV slot after 34 years, and that certainly is a death blow to uh, any promotion uh, when you don't have a weekly TV show to sell your live shows. Uh, Don Owens has been one of the most honest promoters, from what I understand, and I was talking to Billy Jack Hayes about him last night, and Ric Flair has also has nothing but great things to say about the man. Uh, it's unfortunate that that promotion is going under. That's just a sign of what's happening in pro wrestling today. Okay. Take care. Thanks for your call. 955 mm -hmm. is the number to call here at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. We have one open line for you. And uh, is that it for tickets today to give away? Yes, it is. And we'll have more tickets to give away next week. But we also have, we're not going to give them away yet, but we'll give them away next hour. We have five wrestling videos to give away. Glow videos. Now, those of you who have won tapes in the past, if you haven't received them yet, I know um, Steve from L. Scott Sales has been trying to ring everybody up who's won those tapes. Uh, we will take your name and address here and your phone number and pass it along to L. Scott, and uh, you'll be able to pick up your tapes at their Elmont location or their New York City location. John, I wish I had won one of those Glow tapes. I had such a crush on Tina Ferrari. I used to like Spanish Red. Really? Yeah. Okay. And the farmer's daughter. 
<laughs> oh gosh! We've gotten to know uh, Glow, um, the, uh, Hollywood, who's still around, Gina Bassoni, who, um, and Alex, you know uh, Jeannie, I think too, don't you? Didn't you do a show yeah, with her with me? Yeah, I, yeah, and I actually interviewed her for Slam way back when when she started her soap line. Yeah, she's uh, yeah, she's got quite a soap line, uh, Jeannie Bassoni. Uh, uh, she lives in Nashville. Uh, so, uh, we've gotten together for coffee many times and, uh, just good, good, good person and keeps that brand name alive. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people, Bob, who remember glow from back then. And, uh, Oh, I, yes, it, it you know, here in New York, it came on after serious wrestling programs. Mm-hmm. I recall, I don't know if it was WCW followed by glow. I do believe that may have been on channel 11's back to back programming for a while i could be mistaken i may yeah. not be but i do think that glow did unbelievable harm to the wrestling business just my opinion well i mean it was campy it was you know all these you know the characters and it wasn't really taken seriously at all obviously and right right um the the problem as i see it if it was was real simple if if somebody tuned in and said Oh gosh, this is stupid! And switched it off. And you weren't a wrestling fan at that point. You would never be a wrestling fan because you think all wrestling is stupid. Mm-hmm. And Glow was really stupid. I'm do you, sorry. Do you I, remember? I, do you remember El Tight El the El Titan and Stell El Ring? Uh, and it was from like Caracas, Venezuela. No. And this was in the in the early seventies. Uh, and and. They they all came out with music. They all had these weird gimmicks like the mummy and the Frankenstein monster and uh, El Mercenary Joe. Oh, and yeah, I'd read they, about that. Yeah. And they and there is a character that used to actually carry a lamb around the ring over his shoulders. And I used to be hooked on it. Was on Spanish <laughs> wrestling, but I'd watch it. I was like, "What the heck is this?" And it was in the early seventies. And well, every it was music, uh, the music entrances for everyone, and every character was over the top. Well, you know, even the Le- the, the desperate waning days of the LaBelle territory. Remember the Frankenstein monster? Yeah, yeah. Literally, Crazy. it was the Frankenstein monster. You know, uh, going around the ring and, and stomping around, and born in the laboratory. And what am I watching? Right. Yeah, that was definitely the the final the final days of the LaBelle promotion out there in LA. I do remember that, and they did some really campy, crazy stuff. But Glow was campy and crazy, and David McLean was an interesting character. And now he's back again. Now he's starting a, a promotion again um, uh, that is featuring legitimate uh, female wrestlers. And Alex, do you know anything about the new promotion that's coming out? It's like it's you're telling me it's brand new because I yeah. I'm thinking of Wow, but I don't think that's like women of wrestling. Yeah, but, is that what it is? Is that wow with him? Yeah, it's been around for for a little while, but I think they they're in the midst of rebranding it. So yeah, wow superhero, wow superheroes of wrestling. Yeah, uh, and uh, David McLean is involved in that promotion, and there's a lot of legitimate uh, uh, female performers, female wrestlers, athletes involved in this promotion. So I didn't realize that they were an existing promotion because I just saw them uh, not too long ago on Instagram. And yeah, and, uh, but. Uh, yeah, and I think if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I believe AJ Lee, who once was yes. Lee, is an executive producer with them, which that is, is amazing. That's yeah. great. AJ's back. Yeah. Cool. 
tiny piece of David McLean trivia. Did you know he? I did believe he got a start in wrestling working with Dick the Bruiser, of all I people. Had, I had no yeah, idea. He, he hosted the WWA TV shows for a spell. Mm-hmm. Uh, after after uh, Menneker retired or, or got sick or whatever happened to him, I don't recall. But okay. for, for a good period of time, David McLean was the lead announcer on that show in the Indianapolis area. So you know, I just um, I found that surprising too. Yeah, because when I saw Glow, it was the first time I'd ever seen David McLean. So you know, mm-hmm. it was hard to get those yeah, tapes too. back then. So. Right. It's, it was crazy. And of course, they had a very successful Netflix show. Uh, and before we continue on with the show, uh, Netflix, uh, did you hear the announcement about the uh, the Vince McMahon uh, miniseries? What? Yes. Done Deal 2022, Vince McMahon. It's a biography series. It's, a, uh, it's, a, it's several episodes about Vince McMahon's life. So uh, that was announced a couple of days ago, actually. Uh, is by this Steph- being, Stephanie McMahon. Is, my obvious question is: Is this being done in conjunction with WWE? Is it an is it an independent biography of Vince? Uh, it's done uh, with the WWE and with okay. footage, with footage, mm-hmm. rare footage of Vince McMahon and photographs and the entire his entire life story from, you know, from obviously uh, uh, with his legacy with his dad. Uh, all the way up to present day. So uh, that's going to be an interesting one for all of us to watch next year. Absolutely. That's, that's you know, it's about time. You know, that, yeah. that's going to be really interesting. Yeah. And then he's got that other project, uh, United States versus Vince McMahon, that he's doing himself with another production company, and that's going to cover the um, uh, his persecution by the United States and the steroid scandals. He'll have his nice little spin on it. So... Good things coming up in 2022 to watch. Oh, I don't even know what to say about that second one. <laughs> there you go. Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas to you, John. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, at this point, we have a kind of a melancholy but wonderful guest here. I, I always enjoyed speaking with Steve Beverly of Matt Watch. Um, he Me was too. a very nice gentleman, um, really knew his stuff, and put out a doggone good newsletter. And it, it always felt like it ended prematurely, didn't it, John? Oh, very much so. Very much so. And uh, we have to give Steve Beverly credit here. Uh, when Vince Russo and I were starting the newsletter up uh, and Matt Watch was going under, uh, Steve gave us access to his mailing list, which gave it a good start. I mean, he had a really, he had thousands of people on that list. Just a very, great guy. Just a great guy. He really was a great guy. He was a favorite around our office, too. Uh, I know Bill Bill enjoyed him very much. Uh, Bill used to speak with him frequently. And I remember speaking to uh, Steve on the phone. And, of course, I can't remember why. But I do remember speaking to him more than a few times. And uh, I, and he had a great radio voice, didn't he? Yes. And he you know, was a news director for a TV station. and all. The, he was a broadcast journalist. And and everything that he did but uh, i mean when it came to tv back then the ratings the analysis of uh, what was going on with all the federations on the tv front steve was the guy steve was the guy he knew he knew more about it than anybody else in the in the newsletters uh, scene back then well steve is going to explain exactly why he decided to bring his newsletter to an end and uh you're also going to take a couple calls together so let's introduce our audience once again to the really great Steve Beverly. 
the editor of Matt Watch, direct from Jackson, Tennessee, Mr. Steve Beverly. Steve, are you with us? I'm right here, John. How are you doing, Steve? Well, it's a cold day. It's a nice day to stay inside and just stay by the fire in West Tennessee, and that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, it's pretty chilly up here as well. Um, I have a question first before. We're going to take calls for you uh, in just a little bit. Who did Ric Flair defeat the first time for the world title? Do you recall? Dusty Rhodes. Okay, clears it up here because uh, we had Harley Race and Dusty Rhodes, and I had unfortunately given out the wrong answer and uh, been getting lynched. <laughs> Dusty defeated Harley in the at the Omni uh, in, I believe, June of 1981. Okay. Uh, either June or July, one of the two. And then in the early part of fall, Rick uh, defeated Dusty, and that started his uh, the first of his seven title reigns. Okay, great. Thanks for clearing that up here. It caused a little controversy because I had some tickets on the line for the answer <laughs> for Flair and Hogan at the Garden we were giving away. And Sorry, uh, who lost? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, somebody who gave out the who, get, who guessed the uh, wrong answer won. <laughs> <laughs> so we can't change that because we did give the uh, person the tickets. But anyway, Steve, you've been publishing Matt Watch for uh, how many years has it been? Well, we're we're close to four years now. And it's been an uh, institution of pro wrestling for those insiders out there who want to get uh, the up-to-date information, uh, the television ratings, the reviews of the TV shows, and uh, your, your great editorials, and uh, a lot of things that uh, you've enlightened the wrestling fans on. Unfortunately, uh, Matt Watch is going to uh, cease publishing at the end of January. Uh, before we take some questions for you, can you just... Uh, uh, Give us an indication uh, to our listeners out there why uh, this great publication is coming to an end. Well, it's very hard to explain a lot of times to people who have subscribed a long time or either who haven't or have listened to programs such as uh, Pro Wrestling Spotlight and that we've had an exchange with, because I've heard from a lot of your listeners even who haven't subscribed. Um, it's hard to explain, but when you do something like this that is a weekly publication, and you have a full-time job, which is as stressful as being the operations manager of a television station, which I am, and that is coupled with being news director of a television station, and anybody who's in that field and knows the daily deadlines that you face day after day knows that it's stressful, it is taxing, and it is extraordinarily uh, tough to maintain a degree of balance. Uh, frankly, the last year... I'm, I'm amazed that I've been able to maintain any degree of continuity with Matt Watch with it. But uh, I came back into this field out of uh, college work uh, a year and a half ago, and there just simply is, is not enough time, in my opinion, to maintain the excellence of this publication and maintain my health and have enough time for the, what is the most important thing, and that is my family, and to uh, be able to sit back on weekends and not be so tied and glued to the demands of putting together a weekly publication. If you're going to do it, do it right. And I just feel like it has taken a lot of toll. I think you personally know, and a lot of my readers are aware, that I've had uh, some extraordinary health problems this summer that fortunately we've recovered from. But it just takes time that, frankly, I don't have to give to it now. And I think the time has come to back off and... Take a breather. Uh, recognize there's a little bit more of a world out there in addition to pro wrestling. I'm certainly not uh, trashing the world of pro wrestling as such, but I think it's time for me to concentrate on other things. And I am going to continue with a newsletter of a different ilk, but it's only going to be a monthly, and it doesn't require the intensity that Matt Watch does. It's going to be called Flashback, which I've, I've basically test marketed this year. 
that is going to be a look back at old-time television, the ilk that you see on Nick at Night and the 50s, 60s, and 70s of uh, entertainment TV. That's going to be a lot of fun for me, and I have a number of contributors that will help out with that one. So um, I'm going to maintain some some, uh, writing that I enjoy doing, but on a lot less stressful scale. Okay. Now, how many hours a week did you put into Matt Watch, approximately? I know you watched an awful lot of TV as far as TV wrestling to review that. It's very true. Um, I I venture to say that I probably watched 70% of the uh, results that are in our publication and uh, our, our middle pages are somewhat like the the agate that you see with the box scores of all the baseball games and um, and the football stats on the weekends. It's um, been results of, of shows that occur during the week and some people say well, why do you spend so much time doing that? Oddly enough when we started doing that and we thought about backing away from it we got a number of letters from people say don't stop because when I see these things in here it helps me decide what shows I like to trade videotapes for. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people have used the, the weekly uh, results guide from the TV shows to determine what shows they want to get uh, tapes from viewers across the country that they can't see. I usually try to watch the shows except for the ones that I cannot get in my area. And I guess including that and the amount of time that it takes to uh, do the production, the folding, the mailing, and uh, the actual writing of it, I, I would imagine it takes anywhere from 12 to 14 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's just when you're spending time that is upwards 50 to 55 hours a week on uh, concentrating on a, another aspect of life that uh, makes you your predominant living, it's very, very hard to have that kind of time and have quality time to spend with your family. So uh, I'm, I'm just going to make a change, and, and I, I figured the best thing to do is to do it while you're on top and, uh, and while you still feel like you've got some degree of excellence there before you start seeing things go downhill. Okay. Well, uh, we wish you the best of luck, Steve, in your endeavors, of course. Uh, we're going to take some calls. So you were hoping uh, for Jim Ross to join us today, but uh, talked to Mr. Ross earlier this morning, and he had a couple of tickets to a big football game. I believe the last football game in that particular stadium was what he was telling me, and he didn't want to pass that up. So Yeah, the Falcons, uh, for those of us, and I'm a native Georgian, so I'm keeping my eyes glued to that one today, too. Mm-hmm. And it is the last game in... Uh, football game in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium because they'll be playing in the Georgia Dome next year. So, okay, I found out Jim was going to the game. So, but I, I, I missed the opportunity, and I hope one of these days Jim and I can have an opportunity to come on together because I think a tremendous amount of that man's talent. Yes, so do we over here at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight. We're going to take some calls now. Greg from Westbury, you're next. Uh, hey, John. Uh, I have two questions. Uh, whatever happened to Power and Glory? Well, they uh, are in the WWF, but competing as the Barbarian and the Warlord. Oh, I'm sorry. That's Hercules and Japan. Yeah. <laughs> my head is all screwed You're up. Getting today. close to Christmas, John. I think so. I think I got too much on my mind. But uh, uh, Hercules, I hear, is rumored to be working or going to be working for Abrams over at the uh, uh, Universal uh, Wrestling Farce. They call it. Uh, did they, uh, did they leave because uh, Slick left? No, no, not not at all. Oh, and uh, where's Black Blood? Uh, that's Billy Jack uh, Hayes, who was at the AWF show last night. Oh, okay. Thanks, John. You're welcome. Hey, by the way, John, before you go any further, you may have told your reader, uh, your listeners in the earlier hour, how did the AWF show turn out and what kind of attendance did they have? Well, they had a small attendance. Uh, it was just a few hundred in the uh, in the arena, but uh, quality of matches was not very bad. It was a, a good first effort as far as the quality of matches go. A lot of wrestlers that uh, uh, first time as far as live in the area, uh, TNT from Puerto Rico was absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. 
great. Who did he wrestle? He wrestled Hercules, Ayala, and they're feuding down in uh, Puerto Rico. But mm -hmm. they, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, he teamed up with Hercules. Uh, but John, uh, we all have these days. <laughs> yeah, right. I can't understand what's happening to my uh, now, brain now, who, today. Who did? Because there was some question mark about some guys appearing and some guys not. Who wound up being the main event? Uh, Paul, Mr. Wonderful, Ondorf against Al Perez. Okay. That was the main event for the evening. And, um, yeah, I want to give you a call later, Steve. I'll give you all the results. Okay. We got them all yeah, right I don't now. want to take up the caller's time, but I, I was, I've been curious about that show because there's been so much interest in it. Yeah, there has been, and uh, the TV tapings will take place as scheduled tomorrow in Massachusetts, and uh, we're all caravanning up there for that extravaganza later this afternoon. Uh, let's go back on the lines now. We're going to go to uh, Pete from Eatontown. Yes, John. Pete, how are you? Great. Good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, Good meeting you yesterday. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Added a lot to the experience for me and for my friends. Well, thank you. I, I uh, During intermission with you, yourself and all your buddies around, uh, made me feel real good to know there's a lot of listeners uh, from that area that came up and yeah, uh, to introduce yourself. Yeah, in fact, one thing that uh, we were slightly disappointed in is that they didn't uh, make an announcement at, uh, about your show during the intermission. Yeah, because it can uh, get picked up in that area. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I have... Uh, <clears throat> Just um, one comment on the show, and then a question for Steve. Go right ahead. Um, first of all, the show, the show, uh, as you said, was uh, was excellent for the first time out. I like to tell the fans out there. One of the great things about small shows like this is you actually get a feeling of participating uh, because you're in a small arena. Well, you guys certainly up close. You guys I certainly participated. Me, uh, when Mr. Wonderful flipped Perez out of the ring on our side, he landed in my lap. And he took the ch took the chair right out from under me, and I took a bump. Did you? I did, and uh, you know I paid uh, good money for that seat. <laughs> did you ever get but, the seat back? Yeah, I know, but it, it, it's great. Uh, the question I have for, for Steve and yourself is that what we hear about the major productions are going to be going to more and more pay-per-views and fewer and fewer house shows. Uh, and this will this, in your opinion, open up more opportunities for the independent? programs to operate and more chances for the fans to get out to the local arenas. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Steve? Not on the scale that we once had where they were doing weekly shows or I think even monthly shows, simply because I think the cost of importing talent that a predominance of people want to see is just simply too high. You can't make money on it. Uh, and, and it's not certainly because I don't want to see it, because I'm all in favor of any new promoter who wants to try their hand at trying to make a go of something. But the, the travel costs and the cost of importing talent that is really considered national in scope that has had exposure that people want to see, I think it's almost prohibitive for the small-time promoter if they plan to make any money out of it. And understanding that most small-time promoters do not have access to quality TV time slots that can help them to draw crowds. And I think that is, uh, that's the toughest thing about this business today. Costs are just escalating to the point that, and, and travel costs, that it makes it very, very hard to maintain the frequency and the quality of talent that people want to see. I, I, I hope it would change otherwise, but I just don't see it because of uh, the cost. Well, I, I hope it certainly doesn't mean that uh, the demise of the uh, small promotions, because they are a great amount of fun for the, uh, the local fans. I, I think they will always be around uh, in some form or fashion, but if you look and see what has happened, particularly in the Baltimore, the Delmarva region with the 
they were running a promotion called UIW that actually had some time on a uh, station in Baltimore, and most of them were local guys, and a couple of them got a chance to uh, uh, get a break with some promotions, although Axel Rotten didn't last very long with WCW, and Rasta the Voodooman did not last very long with Global. But the fact is, it was a good training ground for those guys, but even with the expenses low for the, the cost of the talent there that were not well-known names, they simply could not make money. Yeah. Okay. Pete, okay, thank you very much. Take care now. Okay, John. 955-1240 is your number to call. We want to congratulate winners uh, Wally from Bayshore and also Josh Bloom from East Hills. You guys got tickets to the Flair Hogan rematch December 29th at Madison Square Garden in New York City. That's a matinee show. Just want to remind you, again, it's going to be an afternoon show for that particular day. Uh, we're going to get back on the phones. Uh, Steve, first of all, have you um, heard any other reports coming in from England uh, regarding the WCW's tour from this past week? I understand uh, it started off a little slow and then started picking up momentum as the week progressed. Yeah, I don't think they had extraordinary crowds on any of the shows, largely because right before they started their big momentum to promote this thing, TV. they were forced off of their predominant time period uh, in England by the WWF. Okay, there were some internal maneuverings, and they lost their key time period that really was going to help them promote their appearances there. Uh, I don't think it was a disaster, because I think if it had been, they would have canceled the tour before they went. But it was I think it's been an interesting experience for them to at least break through and, and make an international swing this way, but it certainly has not been on the scope of, uh, of selling out a Wembley Stadium or, or even a, a, a moderately-sized hall. Mm-hmm. Now, you said they were forced off TV by the WWF. What, WWF take their TV slot over there? They basically, uh, there was some financial maneuverings that got them off the time period that they had. Boy, and, and Turner simply, the, the Turner division just simply did not react quickly enough to it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's something when Vince McMahon says he doesn't even uh, consider them competition, as he said over and over again. I wonder we all know that to be different. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Let's get back on the phones right now. Uh, we're going to go to Frank from Brooklyn. Frank, you're next. Yeah, how you doing? Okay, what can we do for you today? Uh, excuse me? What can we do for you? Oh, I got three fast questions for you. Go ahead. Uh, number one, uh, will the new WF Junior uh, title only be defended in Japan? I'm not really sure about that. Uh, I know they just wanted to, what's his name, uh, Sano defeated Martel for the title. Uh, Steve, did you hear anything about that title being defended here in the States? No, I have not heard anything about it being defended here. Okay, other questions? Yeah, my other question is concerning Rick Martel. Uh, is he coming back to the WF, and is he going to be a bad guy? I've heard reports that he was coming in and uh, changing his ways a little bit uh, after the first of the year. Yeah, and another one. I heard I heard a vicious rumor yeah. about Paul Orndorff. Is he really dead? Well, if he was dead, uh, his ghost was wrestling. <laughs> he was ghost was wrestling last night in Asbury Park and uh, did an excellent job in the ring. So uh, if that's the work of a dead man, I wish I was that dead. <laughs> We're gonna get back on the phones now to John from East Meadow. John, you're next. Hello. Yes. John, how are you? Okay. How are you? Okay. Uh, my question is about the, the coming out of retirement of Buddy Rogers. Yes. Okay, if if this is such a uh, big splash, why wouldn't have the well the coming out of retirement for Buddy been picked up picked up by a larger venue? Well, just the state of wrestling the way it is today, uh, you know, if Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair can't sell out Madison Square Garden, uh, 
Buddy Rogers' retirement certainly is not going to because the old-timers that followed Buddy uh, perhaps are not into watching wrestling anymore. They're not aware of it. Well, I just thought that, you know, he'd want to come out and say wrestle against Bruno and avenge that, you know, that loss or against Luthez, mm-hmm. you know, before he formed the WWWF. Well, it was, a spe- it was a situation that Joel Goodhart uh, mentioned to Buddy Rogers that the wrestling fans, the Weekend of Champions, Buddy thought it would be a good idea for one night only, uh, and that's, what's, what, what, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a one-night deal only. The man is over 70 years old, and uh, you can't expect him to start a, even a part-time wrestling schedule at his age. He's not the chic, you know. Well, you know, I look forward to that match, and uh, hey, the show's just great. So. Thank you very much, John. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, the Sheik was there last night in Asbury Park, but didn't get his EKG in on time. I thought the promoter, Gordon Scazzeri, was going to start crying because, you know, I want. To, I thought I was going to start crying because I want to see the Sheik in sure. there again. I love watching the Sheik. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm one of the people that was lucky enough back in 1975 to see the Sheik and Abdul the Butcher go at it in the Omni, back when Abdul was a younger man, mm-hmm. and the Sheik still was, uh, although I, I wouldn't put a bet against his uh, quality in the ring at this point, but I saw a brawl like uh, you just could not imagine. Went into the seats, went all the way back to the to the dressing room and back out into the seats, went into the mezzanine level of the Omni, and that was at a night when there were 15,000 people in the Omni to see that match. So wow. uh, I, I, I've seen some of the greats, and that's one of them. Well, it certainly is, and the Sheik is an historic figure in wrestling, and we hope he continues on there for a while. Let's go to Jay from Babylon. Hey, John, what's up? What's going on, Jay? Okay. Any truth to the rumor that Dusty Rhodes is coming back to wrestle? He's just going to wrestle over in Japan. I don't think he's going to wrestle here in the States. Is he still booking for NWA? Yes. He's still a booker. Yep. All right, did you find out about uh, Snooker, if he's really holding a title in UWF? He's not holding anything there right now. No? Uh-uh. That's what I heard. All right, thanks, John. Okay. See you next Sunday at the party. Okay, take care now, Jay. Okay, bye. Okay, 955-1240 is a number to call here at the Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and we got to get into another commercial break. Steve, can you hang out with us a little bit? Oh, I'll be with you all the way. Okay, thank you very much. Interesting takes on things from both of you in that segment, John. Yeah, and uh, with Steve's decision, it was kind of a sad one uh, to know that he was leaving, but he was doing it for uh, health reasons. Uh, he was under a lot of stress and... And it's something he talks about even to this day as far as the uh, difficulties that he had uh, uh, with stress and depression uh, back back then. But uh, uh, he, it was, um, he was always somebody that we could call on at any given time to come on the show. He did it gladly. Uh, some of the favorite episodes that I've had with Steve uh, had Joe Petticino with him. Uh, when they used to do some analysis on what was going on behind the scenes in WCW. But Steve, uh, not too long ago, Bob, uh, we were able to do one of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight Lives with him. So we brought him back and uh, just to talk to him and, and see him again was uh, pretty incredible. And I think we, we'll reach out to him and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll bring him on in a future episode here. I, I think, I would I think really, he'd love to talk to him. I would really enjoy that. Um he did a great job. I mean, you know, that, that's yeah. what makes this feel so bittersweet is that he was pretty hot with his newsletter, but he just couldn't budget the time for it anymore. It's just just that simple, really. Yeah, yeah. He had a lot on his plate. And uh, you have to put your family first. And uh, You, you, that, you that, certainly that do. You certainly yeah. do. So anyway, that, that, was, that was refreshing to always hear his voice. And uh, 
here's something different. Uh, we're going to hear a special holiday message now from an all-time great professional wrestler. I, you know, I don't think I'll tell you who it is. I think I'll uh, let the uh, clip. Surprise, surprise. Yes, let's hear it. Surprise you. Here we go. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Oh, howdy out there. Ho, ho, ho. You simple-minded idiots. You're listening to Terry Funk right here. And I do want to wish you exactly what I was singing to you. A very Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Terry Funk. I love that promo. Don't you like it, Steve? I, I love it. That's one that ought to be on your uh, your highlight tape of the month. Yeah, we're definitely going to put that on there for our special Pro Wrestling Spotlight monthly uh, issue for, I guess, the January issue, which will feature December stuff. Uh, we are also starting up a newsletter, Steve, as we talked to you about, and uh, um, hopefully uh, it's, it's tough work. I know um, just in the planning stages of it right now, it gets very... Uh, very boggling in the mind, something that, especially if you got to do on a weekly basis. So, we hope that'll uh, take off here at the show. We got all our winners already here at this Pro Wrestling Spotlight, and the phones are still ringing off the hook here. Doctor Whitefinger has fainted. Chris, are you around? Uh, can, uh, any of these people want to uh, make any comments, or they, should I just start? Have you picked up any of them? Okay, should I go to line number one? Okay. My number one. Who is this? This is Neil. Neil, how are you doing? Any questions for us? Yes, I was just wondering, um, when is WCW going to put um, the uh, five, what's it, the Patriots out of their misery? I think Not soon are, enough. <laughs> I think these two are the worst. I can't believe that they would even allow them to hold any titles. I really don't understand. Whose idea was that to bring them in? Was it Dusty's or, or Jim Hurd's? Uh, I, I think it was, I, I don't know, I, I think it was Dusty Slarsal because Todd Champion had worked for him before, back uh, before he left the group when Turner took over and had was on the verge of a mild push. And Curtis Thompson had been uh, a preliminary wrestler that they finally toured around 1988, let him get a couple of wins on TV, and it looked like he was right on the verge of maybe getting elevated and I think Dusty always liked them and decided to bring them in and put them together. But they, I, I agree, it just it, it has not been a mix that's worked, and certainly the fans have not gotten into the act. Well, certainly, uh, you know, I didn't. Thanks for your call. Incidentally, I I, uh, I didn't really enjoy the team or the gimmick, uh, Patriot and uh, it, it it didn't really Firebreaker and you know. it, it it didn't really match the name. Now you got a guy. The one thing that I like about what uh, Joe Petticino and Bill Eady did with uh, Del Wilkes as the Patriot with Global is that at least he was regarded as the red, white, and blue and followed the, uh, the symbol of what a Patriot is supposed to be. And they put him in a role where he is the dominant force in that promotion. These guys, okay, you got a fireman and you got a, uh, a military guy, but... You know, it, 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 they just didn't match up with the name or the theme, and it, it didn't ring true. No, it certainly did not. Uh, we'll get back on the lines now, and hello. Hello? Yes, who's this? John, this is uh, Tony from Glen Cove. Tony, how are you? Okay, I got an uh, opinion and question about your show. Yes. I feel you keep listeners up to date on what's going on in the world of wrestling. I feel 
that you have excellent guests. Is it impossible to get a belt holder on the air? A what? A belt holder or a title holder from any organization? Is it impossible to get a Hogan or a Flair on the air? Uh, Flair may be a little easier. We've been trying to get Flair. Um, as far as in WCW, Luger's the champion there. And it's, if, uh, if there was another champion, I've had Sting on when he was a champion uh, uh, before, but uh, Luger is a very arrogant individual. And I've tried to interview him in the dressing room a number of times to try to get him to do this show, and he's just an arrogant person. And uh, he just uh, will not do it. And uh, he was very irate with me once when I asked him for an interview, you know, threatened to wring my neck. Uh, he just didn't want to be associated with anything like this. Uh, you played a recording um, a couple months ago with with Flair, not on your station, but a question and answering on the air. Yes, I, I, yeah, that's the Sports Byline show, which we got uh, permission to play, and that was an excellent interview. Do you foresee something coming up soon like that? We came real close to getting Flair in between his uh, WCW, right before he went to WWF. We were just about to get him on, and... Um, you know, with the relationship we have with the WWF, we have had Fred Blassing on, and uh, I certainly would love to get Flair on, and uh, I will certainly renew my efforts, I promise you, this week to see if we can get Rick on. Yeah, I think it would be great for the fans. Hey, believe me, I'd love to do it more than anybody else. I, I, you know, that would be an honor for me to have Flair here, and especially to take callers. Uh, we will try to, to renew those efforts and uh, uh, light the fire up again and see if we can get uh, Mr. Flair on the uh, show. As far as Hogan coming on this program, uh, there's a, you ever hear the expression, when hell freezes over? Oh, yeah, or the, when the cows come home. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, I'd certainly like to have Hogan on here to address some of the issues of pro wrestling, but I know for a fact uh, that Mr. Hogan would never appear on the show. How about uh, Vince McMahon? Same, same reason? All right, I'll, I'll call up Vince's office this week and I'll ask him, because that would be a, a great guess, but uh, I don't think he will do it, but I will certainly... Uh, Extend the olive branch this week. Yeah, it would be great to hear, John. I mean, uh, extend the Christmas tree branch. <laughs> there you go. All righty. Thanks for those comments, and then we'll work on that, I promise you, this week, and we'll let you know what's going on next week. Okay, John. Okay, take care. Bye. Okay, Nick from Queens, you're next. Hello, John. Yes. How you doing? Okay. I just have a question about uh, the Ultimate Warrior. If um, he does come into the WCW, how soon do you think it'll be before... Um, He'll take the title from Luger, or do you think it'll happen at all? Well, it depends on if he's coming in. I've hear, heard so many different things. I heard he's coming in for Starcade. I heard he's coming in beginning of the year. He's coming in for a Wrestle War. Mm -hmm. Steve, uh, you you are you know what's going on there, and not uh, I can't say you know everything that's going on there. Uh, but uh, what have you heard as of this week regarding uh, Hellwig, the Ultimate Warrior? Well, I, I'm like you. I, I've heard about as many stories about this as uh, as who's going to run for president for the Democrats. <laughs> uh, to my knowledge, as of today, there aren't any contracts signed. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to change, because, but, but I think it also has to be remembered that this guy's contract demands that he had with the WWF and his work desires, which were very minimal, are going to have to change drastically before he gets signed at all because uh, WCW is under a salary cap with its total uh, roster by Turner Broadcasting, and there's not extraordinary, but they're not going to pay this guy a million dollars or even three-quarter of a million to come in. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about Luger? Do you think uh, if they hire Ultimate Warrior with the salary cap, they will have to let Luger go? No, I mean, they're not going to let Lex Luger go until his contract expires if they do not reach agreement on a contract extension at that point. So I don't think one's really tied to the other. 
But I don't fr frankly think that the Ultimate Warrior is worth that kind of money to World Championship Wrestling. Now, there are those rabid fans who enjoyed him. Mm -hmm. But you got to remember, this guy didn't exactly burn the barrel out when he was the WWF champion as far as drawing fans. It wasn't altogether his fault mm -hmm. because the whole time he was champion, the focus was still on Hogan as the big star of the promotion, and so he was never allowed to come out of that shadow. So it wasn't totally his fault. But I, I, I wouldn't pay him that kind of money today because I don't think he's going to draw that kind of crowd to, to the arenas, and I don't think he's going to make that much difference in, uh, in uh, uh, television ratings or pay-per-view subscriptions. Oh, all right. All right, thank you very much. Okay, but i uh, tell you one thing about the Warrior, though. You know, he could shake the hell out of a ring rope. You yeah, know, boy. I, I've never seen anyone shake the ring ropes better than the Ultimate Warrior, and, then, of course, that's worth half a million right there. Yeah, man. Let's go to... <laughs> Let's go to Keith from Queens. Keith, you're next here. Hi, John. Um, I have a question for Steve. Go ahead. How have the opinions of television stations changed over the last few years as far as wrestling goes? Uh, they have drastically gone downhill. Uh, back in 1985, I think, was the peak year in which particularly independent television stations and some network affiliates that weren't carrying wrestling at all were trying to grab anything they could get their hands on. I mean, three, four, five hours a week was nothing. Uh, for, and, and a number of independent stations were being advised by um, advertising representatives that they ought to take shows and strip them Monday through Friday and many of them did, either late night, a few, such as uh, an independent that later became a Fox station in Columbus, Georgia, uh, ran wrestling shows Monday through Friday night from uh, 8 to 9 o'clock and did so marginally successfully. But as ultimately many of us believed, when this proliferation became so great and between cable and syndication, uh, there were so many hours a week available, the ratings did go down. And now it is very, very hard for program producers, syndicators, anybody trying to start a new promotion. I get calls about twice a month from guys that are trying to start up promotions wanting to know how they go about getting time on TV. And I'm telling you, even uh, unless you buy the time on TV stations now, it is very, very hard to get a slot on any independent TV station or others. The WWF still has the best inroad because of their track record, but even they have lost some markets. Instead of 250-something stations, they're on more like 213, 15 now. Uh, a number of stations that carry the spotlight or the challenge show have dropped them in the last year. Uh, WCW is down from about 173 stations a year ago to about 155 and so it is not it is not the big bonanza now for uh, for companies, and, and it's going to get even harder, I think, because uh, wrestling's just not special anymore. Well, thank you for your call, Keith. We appreciate it, and uh, Steve you made some great comments, and that's uh, quite true. The television industry and certainly oversaturated with pro wrestling, and uh, I, I think the key example of this too, John, is is when NBC canceled Saturday night's main event, yeah. and after seven years, but the last two years. The ratings took a sharp dive, and when the last three primetime specials did very poorly in the ratings, finishing third in their time periods, uh, in fact, one of them actually finished fourth to the Fox offering on Friday night, uh, it's quite obvious at that point that, to borrow from the old cliché team, uh, the bloom had literally come off the rose where the ratings are concerned. Yep, sure did. 
We're going to get back on a call. We're going to take a few more calls. That's about it here. Uh, Steve from West Hempstead, you're next. Hi, John. My question is for uh, Steve Beverly. We had a character recently in the WWF, Big Bully, Big Bully Busich. I thought the, the idea of it was pretty good. It seemed like he got a fairly good push-up here. And then I read that he left the WWF to go back because of uh, he wasn't making his expenses meet. My question is, the WWF, which is like the mecca of professional wrestling, I thought they pay the best. Why would a guy like the bully have trouble making ends meet and have to go back to global where there's really very limited you know, wrestling uh, going on down there? Exactly, but for a number of wrestlers who work lower on the card, the travel expenses that they have to pay, particularly in a number of the larger cities, uh, to go from town to town, and coupled with the fact that the lower-on-the-card guys, this was another example with Ricky Steamboat. Uh, Ricky Steamboat really only, I'm told by, by people in his family, Ricky Steamboat only cleared about forty to $50,000 during the time he was with the WWF. And I say cleared, really, I'm not even sure if it was that much when others of his expenses were, were figured in. For a lot of these guys that go up there and they're told there's a pot of gold, and the gold's just not there the way it was in 85, 86, 87, 88. And I remember when Arn Anderson went up and, and uh, when he was considering coming back to WCW, he said, you know, all this big, huge bucks that are up here that everybody's talked about, they simply are not here. They do pay guarantees based on, uh, let, me, let me take it back, I shouldn't say guarantees. You go up there in the WWF, you are guaranteed $1,500 a year in most instances. You are then paid according to how well you draw, how your merchandising goes. It's all an opportunity, but it's based on percentages. And uh, Nick just felt he could not make ends meet uh, doing what he was doing, doing all that traveling. And, uh, and on the lower end of the scale salary he was offered. So he's back, and I'm sure he's doing some... Um, some work on the side that, uh, and he's working independence and is is probably going to do some global shows after the first of the year. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for you your, bet. Thanks for your call, Steve. Nine five five twelve forty number to call. We're going to take just uh, one more quick call here. We really got to run. Uh, talk about a few other things. Uh, Tim from Eatontown, New Jersey. You're next. Hi, John. How you doing, Tim? All right. What's I going? had a question for Steve. I was curious um, what the buy rate was for the pay per view for the uh, the Tuesday in texas well there, there's a, a disagreement and it always is usually the case the uh, the titan people are saying that it was about a 1.3 percent buy rate and i was told by you won't know exactly until probably another 45 days goes by it takes 60 days for all the reporting to come in mm -hmm. but they project it based on the larger cities uh uh, sources close to Request TV have told me that the buy rate is going to project out somewhere around 0.9% to 1% on that uh, pay-per-view, which is not unusual for a show that had almost no time to be promoted as far as uh, on the air was concerned. It was like one week. Uh, you had to be watching Survivor Series unless you subscribed to newsletters. You had to be subscribed. Uh, you had to watch Survivor Series to be able to know they were going to do another one. Right. And there was almost no newspaper advertising of that show. Mm -hmm. This was a test market thing as much as anything to right. see. That's it, I was curious whether they thought you know that would ever happen again. Yeah, th this was a test market thing to see whether they could actually put together one back to back that would work. I don't think the results were a disaster, but they weren't just overwhelming. It, they weren't a disaster though simply from the fact that it was a 90-minute show. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think it was really that bad, but again, it, it didn't make mega bucks. That show brings back a hundred 
huge memories for me of 1991 at PWI uh, for for a thousand you know for a thousand different reasons of things that I had like my little pinky in personally. Mm-hmm. Nick Busick, um, yeah. I was the first person to pick him out of a lineup and go, "Holy smokes!" I thought he was going to be a really big thing. He was working for this tiny little federation in Georgia, and um, he's the strongest human being I've ever seen with my own eyes, for real. The guy could lift a car. I mean, the guy was just, he was charismatic. He was a great face. That's the problem. That You know, when they went to WWF, they made a cartoonish, tough right. guy with this derby and a cigar and all that, the sweater and all that other stuff. Made him look like something out of a, a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With Harvey Whippleman and all this yep. other stuff. But, but I thought he really had potential. He had a unique charisma, and they just blew it with him nine ways to Sunday. They, they just, they just dropped the ball with him. But one of the first things I gave him in terms of national publicity was PWI. And it, nobody remembers this because nobody ever saw it. Used to do an entire page in one of the tabloids. I can't remember if it was the star or it wasn't the national Enquirer. you know, the type that you pick up. In the, yeah. In like the, the globe or something like yeah, that. Yeah. There was a PWI page in one of those things. Yeah. And I used to write about it and I, 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 told him, you've got to see this Nick Music in Georgia. He's he's a wonderful, strong man and a great guy. A lot of you know how we used to write back then. Next week I get the tape from Emmy Yates, you know, from Georgia TV, and I see him hold up the paper. He says, Can you believe Georgia Championship Wrestling has coverage in a national tabloid? <laughs> and he, you know, I had talked to him and he was very appreciative of the, the tiny little push and little goose we, that we gave not only him, but the federation he was part of. And I really thought he was way better than he was allowed to ever show in WWF. Yeah, what could have been, right? Yeah, I know. And here's another question I have for you, John. Luger, was that mean to you? That rude? Luger was really mean. Not mean, but he was very uh, dismissive. And when I tried to press him once, and you know, just trying to get an interview with him, he was in a bad mood, and and um, yeah, it didn't come for him actually, you know, putting his hands around my throat. But I did feel a little threatened because he, whether it was roid rage or whatever was going on with him that particular day. But every time I got together with uh, backstage, and I could never, you know, warm up to the guy at all. I mean, because he wouldn't allow any cooperation, any interview with me was uh, quite distressing back then. Well, I had heard that about him, so I came forewarned now. Here's, here's another Peter. Nicest, nicest guy in the world now. I mean, yes, but, I know, hear it. Yeah. Uh, but obviously his, people his, change. Here's a little PWI insider story again. Uh, when I used to travel the country, Stu Sachs, the editor, said, you got to do this. Don't bring a business card. Bring a stack of magazines. Mm-hmm. If you get near a locker room, throw them on a table. There you go. And he was right, because every time I threw a stack of magazines at a table, wrestlers came running to see if their names were in it. I swear to God, it was, it oh, was yeah. like... Oh, yeah, they still love it. They, and yeah. then they would know who I was, and we'd yes. start a relationship and so on and so forth. Yeah, and, and those but, magazines were, uh, you know, were uh, good to be shared, and the wrestlers didn't have to hide them because they weren't the Observer or the Torch or even Matt Watch. So this brings us back to, to Lex Luger. I'm in St. Louis. I believe it was that same Black Scorpion card. Mm-hmm. And there's Luger backstage, you know, the area behind a curtain, you know, mm-hmm. where the stage would be in a theater. And he's got a copy of one of my magazines. 
and he is reading that thing. He's just standing there with a coat on, and he's really reading the magazine. And he's got this smirk on his face. And I can't, and I'm, I'm away from him. He's not, he doesn't know who I am, and I'm, I'm kind of off to the side. I just wanted to get his reaction to what he was reading. I couldn't tell if he, at first I couldn't tell if he was enjoying it. I couldn't tell if he didn't like it. I couldn't tell anything, but he was going page by page. And he wasn't just glancing at it. He was reading it. Well, after about five minutes of me, you know, kind of eyeballing him on the corner, I just hear the words, who writes this shit? And I see a magazine go flying and he walks away in another, <laughs> another direction. So I got a kind of a feeling of, of what he had uh, thought of yeah. the magazine. Yeah, he wasn't happy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah, I hear the same thing that he's kind of a changed guy, and he's kind of seen the light. Yeah, and... he's uh, most you know he can walk some now. I mean, but uh, he's a shell of himself. He's very, very thin, and you know, in a wheelchair. Or you know, it, it's uh, it's sad. But he is at, at any uh, fan convention that I've been at or autograph signing where I've seen him. He he, uh, I haven't talked to him. Uh, I. I you know, haven't uh, went up to him to actually engage in conversation, but just seeing how he interacts with people, totally changed, dude. But that's that's nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. maybe I'll, maybe we'll get an interview with him for here. I would love that. I, anybody, I, you know, nice. you know, there's so many great people from our era, so to speak, that um, I would like to be in touch with again. I really would. Uh, people that I know and people that I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners would like to hear that, too. Yeah, and why don't we just open it up to them, too? Like, who would you, you know, uh, people listening to this podcast, uh, who would you like to see us get for a possible interview? It doesn't have to be somebody that was a guest on the show that week, necessarily. But if we're talking about that era from 30 years ago, then why not? Why not bring somebody on like Alex Luger or some of the others uh, that uh, that we may have access to? So uh, send us an email. Uh, just send it to john at mattmemories.com uh, or send me a message on my Patreon uh, page and let me know who you'd be interested in hearing. And we'll try to get that person on the show so you could uh, hear us uh, reminisce, relive the history. I, uh, I second John's notion on this. I think it's a great idea. And uh, we'd like to hear from you just generally and, and anything you want to tell us. Tell us, write it to us yeah. and tell us what you think. Always uh, open to that. And, of course, we're all on social media and all that. But uh, probably an interesting show. It wasn't jam-packed with guests or anything. But um, it was, as you said, uh, what you call it? A bread and butter show or something? The bread and butter show. The bread and butter, <laughs> the essence of Pro Wrestling Spotlight. The fans, the local scene, the entire Long Island flavor, if you will. You know what I'm talking about. You know, Long yeah, Island. I do. I do. But, uh, yeah, we're 10 days away from Christmas now by the time people hear this. And, uh, you know, so I hope uh, we'll have one more episode before uh, Christmas Day. And so, I'm, you know, early holiday greetings to everybody. And, uh, you know, I'll close it out. And, Bob, it's always a pleasure to see you and talk to you and do these shows with you. And Alex, of course, uh, uh, patiently up there in Montreal, Canada, getting ready for uh, – uh, Christmas season. Now, what's the deal with C Canadian Christmas? I mean, do you celebrate it the same day? Is there Boxing Day? What you know? What uh, what is uh, the what is the the dates up there? Yeah, I would say most people, at least most people in Quebec, uh, do celebrate Christmas. Although I don't know that they celebrate it in the traditional sense um, where you go to church and all that. It's more just. 
Christmas where you get yeah. together with family, exchange mm -hmm. gifts and whatnot. And then, yeah, the following day, the 26th is Boxing Day, and it's probably the craziest place in the malls and the stores. So if you're not a fan of shopping, I suggest you stay away from there. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm never one for the the craziness of the shopping. I mean, I do everything online traditionally these days. And But for an Italian uh, uh, Christmas, I mean, Christmas Eve, um, have you heard of the uh, Feast of the Seven Fishes before? Yes. Okay, so you're familiar with that. Bob, are you? No, not at all. Well, you're not Italian then. Not at all. Yeah. Alex, do you have any Italian blood running through your veins? Not none no. whatsoever. But you're familiar with the Feast of the Seven Fishes is kind of a Christmas Eve tradition where you eat seven different types of fish on Christmas Eve. And in my family, when I was growing up at midnight, you'd uh, fry sausage and eat sausage for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, it was just something that we did as a, what? you know Italian tradition, I guess. Suddenly, I wish it was Italian. Okay. That's why we're all big. I mean, you know, it's like Thanksgiving is, is seven hours, and Christmas Eve uh, is is also one of those nights where it's constant food. And my family and I are going to be spending it with some very close friends here on Long Island. And uh, and then after a few drinks, the karaoke machine goes on, <laughs> and it's crazy. And they Can put. Can somebody film it or get audio of it so then yes. my, or Bob and I can play it back when we yeah. uh, when we come back in January because that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to provide some of that for you. <laughs> you know, I've played the Chicago Blues Festival twice in front of about 15,000 people each time. Mm -hmm. I played at Pier 17 in New York City in front of God knows how many people. Big crowds, right? I am scared to death to do karaoke. Yeah. I don't well, know why. It depends how much alcohol you have in you. I but why would it be? I'm a prof was a professional singer, and I could do it any time in front of anybody. Yeah. But put me in a karaoke bar, and I don't want to get up yeah. there. What, what should, is that? I don't know. I I mean, I never really was a karaoke guy myself. I'm just yeah. I don't have a good singer. You know who is a karaoke guy, don't you? After. Bill Apter. Yeah. Oh my god. Country country music karaoke too. He, he would cover wrestling at the garden, and then go sing till three o'clock in the morning. Yes. Right across the street at the Penta Hotel. What a passion for music he has, too. I mean, as a oh, country really music good. aficionado, you know. There's, there's another cat we got to get on the show. Oh, absolutely. That would be a lot of fun. I that absolutely, fun. you know something, Bill remains a close friend. We have been in touch all these years. and uh, Good man. Yeah, he is a good man. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, I want to close it out. I just want to remind everybody once again to check out our Patreon account. And patrons do get the entire archives of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight radio show. All the uncut, original, unedited shows are there. You'll have access to the podcast several days before it's released to the general public without commercials. Starts at five bucks a month. Just go to patreon.com slash John Arezzi. That'll wrap up this edition of John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight. You can join our private group at facebook.com slash pro wrestling spotlight. Our public page to share history is facebook.com. John Arezzi's Matt Memories. And there's a private group there as well. And as Bob mentioned before, the YouTube channel uh, looks really, really good. We are 
over a thousand subscribers now. I think we uh, are up to a thousand sixty subscribers, and we really would love you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube.com/slash Pro Wrestling Spotlight. Subscribe to the channel today, and you can follow me at Twitter at John Arezzi. Instagram is at John Arezzi as well. And I do have some signed and numbered copies of my book, Matt Memories, left. Just send an email to me, john at mattmemories.com. Our merchandise store is up and very, very active right now this holiday season. Uh, go to tinyurl.com slash store, and you can pick up hoodies and T-shirts, signed posters, books, caps, and more. And please, uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please give it a five-star review and review the show there. Uh, And tell your friends about us as well. Share the show links. Help us build this audience. It's a great community that you're part of by listening to the show each and every week. And don't forget to check out our sister podcast, Matt Memories, from Madison Square Garden, covering all the shows I covered from the mecca of all arenas 50 years ago to the day that show took place. There are four episodes available right now covering WWWF Madison Square Garden cards from August of 71 right through the end of that year. Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden, co-hosted by Tim Poutre and written by Richie Garcia. John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast is a production of Matt Memories LLC. Our co-host is Bob Smith. Our producer and editor is the wonderful Alex Robertson. Pro Wrestling Spotlight's creative director is our friend Marsh. And thanks to Donnie Liable for sharing his memories with you on our time capsule. Until next week, when we relive more history with you, this is John Arezzi for the Pro Wrestling Spotlight.